Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 51 of the podcast and it is our massive 2022 NHL Draft Preview Show. Lots to get to, lots to talk about. Cannot wait to cover it all with you over the next couple of hours here on Talking Hockey Sense and put out a call for questions for this week's episode and I got 48 questions and I was like well I said I was going to answer all of them and I will now some are going to get more in-depth answers than others because 48 questions is an awful lot and there are a couple things we have to get to before we actually get to the questions but 48 questions I mean that is a lot so there's only one way to start this podcast off to make sure that I get through it all the way and it goes a little something like this that did not have the audio pop that I wanted, but yes, I just cracked open a cold beverage and took a sip of it um, and wasted your time by doing that because I don't think it necessarily got the audio effect that I was going for. But either way, we're, we're going to have fun today. We're going to talk a lot about the NHL draft. And, you know, we're, we're as this comes out, it's a little over a week away. Uh, the the first round will be on Thursday, uh, at July seventh, and then we get round two on July eighth, all in in uh, Montreal. And obviously, I think everybody here is excited. Um, before we get to that, congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche Stanley Cup champion. Um, and I wanted to mention something about the Avalanche before we kind of get into the twenty twenty two drafts up because. Anytime a team wins a Stanley Cup, you're looking for lessons that can be learned from that team. And when we're talking specifically about the draft, we talk about how important it is to draft well. And there's no question that the Colorado Avalanche drafted well, but they only really drafted well in the first round. It's so important to not miss on those picks, but their lack of success anywhere below the first round is where... I think there's a lot of interesting kind of things to think about and, and, and different things. Obviously, they had a lot of high picks. They had some very lean years that allowed them to get into the kind of the 
the basement of the league. You get Nathan McKinnon out of that. You get a number four pick in Kale McCarr out of that. You get a number two pick in Gabriel Landeskog out of that. Um, you know, a high pick in Miko Rantanen. So a lot of, you know, quality players and everything else that you get out of that be, by being bad. And so they get some core pieces from there. But you, you look at the rest of their roster. And in terms of guys that actually played a role in the playoffs of their homegrown talent... They had several guys that were black aces that were below first round draft picks, but homegrown draft picks on this roster. Let's just go through the guys that actually made a significant impact on the team. Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, who we just mentioned, of course, Gabriel Landeskog, Miko Rantanen, Bowen Byram, fourth overall pick. You look at some of the other guys that were in that mix, um, Alex Newhook, a first-round draft pick. Miko Rantanen, we mentioned. And that's it. After that, the homegrown picks on this team were not really homegrown picks at all. Um, they were acquired from other places. And so it just goes to show you that you can draft a ton. Um, you can draft a lot of talent. And you, and you look at the Lightning. They've had a lot of success outside of the first round. They've actually had some more success Outside of the first round, when you think of Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, Andre Palat, you know, they obviously had the top picks, but it's so fascinating to me that that Colorado, beyond their um you know, beyond what they got in the first round, there just wasn't much that was gonna help them. And they had to go out and get all of these other players to fill different roles. And, you know, Joe Sackick deserves a lot of credit because he helped that team get to the where they were by making some very prudent trades at the right times. The Matt Duchesne trade is hugely important. It ends up including Bowen Byram in that mix. It get it brings in um, uh, Sam Gerrard as well. And and you know even though he was hurt, that was a guy that helped them get to that stage over the course of the season. Um, and then you know you you have the, the Ryan O'Reilly trade. JT Comfer was one of the key pieces that comes back in that trade and what a role he played in, in the depth of that team. Um, you know, and then they went out and made more and more trades. So a lot of that, some free agency, different things that they did. Um, there's no right right or wrong way to build a team. Uh, Colorado had to do it more I think when you don't draft well outside of the first round it does put more pressure on those trades and you have to hit on those trades and the fact that they did hit on those trades is a big reason that they are now Stanley Cup champions and deservedly so what a fun team to watch the other instructive thing about the Colorado Avalanche you watch that game six and you know played in Florida in the middle of the summer where it's hot it's humid the ice isn't going to be good there was only one team that looked like it was skating in mud out there and it was a team that was the home team in that game six and Colorado's speed just continued to take over. And you look at the way that they built their team, such a great skating team, Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr among the elite skaters in the NHL. But then you also have guys like Logan O'Connor, who was a college free agent, um, you know, absolute burner uh, could, could make, you know, Comfer has good speed. You, you get out Nachushkin, what a, what a pickup that was for them. And a guy that, you know, was, was very cheap you know, that was a team that played with a lot of pace. They certainly, it wasn't 100% pace, but you look at the, the players that they had and they built it with speed. And I think that this draft, you're going to see a lot of that 
um, it, it, you know, teams that are are maybe going to reach on speed. There's going to be a few players that are just amazing skaters. It's a big reason that I had Logan Cooley number one on my board is because of the speed factor and the fact that it, you know, speed in this league can go a long way if you can play fast on top of being fast. And that's where you see guys like Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon and do all those amazing things. And before we we move off of the avalanche, I did want to talk a little bit more about Kale McCarr because um, what an incredible story. Not the number one pick in his draft class, number four in his draft class, will go down as one of the great players maybe ever. Um, And he's currently on one of the greatest runs a defenseman has ever been on. So before he gets to the NHL, he wins the Hobie Baker Award. He's an All-American. He takes UMass to the national championship where they do just fall short. The next season, they end up winning the whole thing. Um, you've then got the Calder Trophy the following season. You know, he jumps in the playoffs right after his college career. Then he gets a great season, Calder Trophy, Rookie of the Year. The following year, you know, continues to to, to progress and move forward. You know, he's, he's, he's doing all these great things. And then this year he wins the Norris. He wins the Conn Smythe. He wins the Stanley Cup. It's one of the great runs by a, a U23 or 23 and under defenseman um, in the history of the game. I mean, Bobby Orr and, you know, Brian Leach, essentially, you know, guys, there, there, there aren't a ton of guys that, that had Nick Lidstrom as well as a guy that, you know, won the, the, the Norris and the Calder in the same year. I mean, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling how good, Kale McCarr has gotten in such a short amount of time. And the amazing thing is, is it seems like a short amount of time, but let's not forget that this is a guy who, after his draft year, went to college. After that year said, I still need another year of college. He didn't rush the process. He stuck with what he needed to do. He got better. And now he is one of the greats in the league. And I, I was having a conversation with a friend. And with the collection of awards that Kale McCarr has already won, at this age, like he, it's a Hall of Fame resume already. And he still has to play out the rest of his career. And if if this is only the beginning, where does it go from here? And so it's amazing to watch. You never know how things are going to go with these players. But I think Kale McCarr is one of those guys that should be held up as a role model for any prospect who is in a huge rush to get to the NHL. Arrive when you're ready is one thing. Kale McCarr arrived ready to make an impact. And he has made an impact from the second he stepped foot on NHL ice. And he has only gotten better. And now is one of the best players in the world. It's it's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. But we got to talk about the draft because it's coming up really quick and I have so many questions to get to and we've already talked for a little bit here and this is going to be a long podcast. I hope you can stick with me for it. We have a wide array of questions, but we still have to talk about one more thing. This is draft related though. So it is Tuesday as I'm recording this, uh, June 28th, the same day that Bob McKenzie released his his rankings. Now, Bob over at TSN has annually released his his draft rankings through you know guys like me Corey Pronman all the other um, different draft analysts out there we put out our own lists that are our opinion Bob's is the opinion of scouts and it's it's a it's a 10 person panel it's a chance for him to you know get the opinion of the industry and it is a great way of doing it because it'll it'll give you it's it's somewhat predictive 
of how things will go. However, I think this is a year where there is, even with that sample that Bob has collected, it is going to be very hard to predict this first round. The bombshell of that was that Uri Slavkovsky was the number one overall on Bob's final ranking. It's very rare that you see this happen where there's a bit of a split and Uri Slavkovsky overtakes Shane Wright. So Shane Wright's there. Logan Cooley also got a, a, a vote to be the number one overall. Um, so obviously I like that scout, whoever that was. And, you know, Shane Wright ends up number two, Cooley three um, on this list. So it throws everything for a loop here. And the Montreal Canadiens, it, it would be great if it was easy, right? Unfortunately, this is one of those years where it's not easy. And I think a lot of us, uh, you know, coming into the year thought slam dunk, Shane Wright, no problem. But the way this year has progressed and the way that it's, you know, there has been that seed of doubt planted in Shane Wright. And are we nitpicking? Are we are we focusing too much on the negative? No, I don't think so. I I try not to pick players apart. I try to focus on the positive. And Shane Wright didn't have the season that you need to have to be a number one pick. That said, did Uri Slavkovsky? I don't think so. Did Logan Cooley? I don't think so. Nobody had that great season. There's not a single player that reached up and said, I belong to, I, I should be the number one pick. You can maybe make a case that Simon Nemich did based on his production, but still, he's a tough guy to project as well. Beyond the production, he had incredible production, but still, it's just, what does that, what does that ultimately get you? Um, you know, in the Slovakian league, where there's not a lot of precedent. We don't have a lot that we can really go off of with that. So, with that in mind, you know, looking at Bob's list, it, it's fascinating. I mean, absolutely fascinating that, you know, essentially uh, five of the 10 scouts, so half of the scouts did pick Uri Slavkovsky to be number one. Four picked Wright and one picked Logan Cooley. That's where we're at. We does So that is not something where I'd say, well, absolutely Uri Slavkovsky is going to be Montreal's pick. Um, over on the the DFO rundown that is that my colleague Frank Saravalli is on with Jason Greger, they had Kent Hughes on, the general manager of the, the Montreal Canadiens, and he said flat out they do not know who they're going to pick yet. And this was just last Friday. And I believe him. I think that there is – it's not gamesmanship. It's, it, is, it is what it is. They need all the time that they can get to make this decision because you cannot screw this one up. And – and, and it's going to be very easy to do, easier than it's ever been to do this year. Um, we'll get to some of that. We got a lot of questions, you know, around the top of this draft coming up in a little bit. But I think it's important to talk about this is what we've been saying for a while. The consensus is going away. And that's a very uncomfortable position to be in when you are a team like the Canadians. However, the pressure is now off. Everyone, the, you know, especially with when, when Bob's rankings come out, the industry moves. And I think that this is, it's very important to understand that when that comes out and that's just an, uh, a sample of the industry, that is something that people pay attention to. And now, I mean, like scouts and, and everybody else, and obviously fans as well, because it's something that, that is used throughout the industry. So anyway, 
I feel like in some ways this does take a lot of the pressure off of, of the Canadians. If they don't believe Shane Wright is the right pick for them, and it's very possible that they don't, um, now there's almost like permission granted to make a different decision. Because there's enough out there. There, you know, Corey, who I had on the podcast, Corey Promin, who I had on the podcast, did have Slipkowski one on his board. I have Logan Cooley. Plenty more have Shane Wright, but not everybody believes that it's Shane Wright. And so now the Canadians have permission <laughs> to buck the trend because at this point, there's no trend. There is no consensus. And while I still think it is the most likely scenario that Shane Wright goes first overall, I have no idea how Kent Hughes is going to operate as a general manager. I have no idea how Marty LaPointe is going to be as the director of scouting for the Montreal Canadiens. I don't know what Jeff Gorton's input is going to be. The other thing that you have to understand about Kent Hughes is he knows this player pool because he's been coaching in this player pool as a, as a minor hockey coach in AAA, um, you know, with a with a program that has gone up against top players over the years, his son Jack is a draft eligible prospect this year. He's played with several of these players with and against them in various tournaments. Um, played with Logan Cooley last year at the World Under 18 Championship on the same team. So there are all these other connections there at play. So a lot can happen, and so. Now, now that the consensus is officially, you know, Bob's list being the gold standard of predictive nature of how the draft is going to go, the fact that five of ten scouts have the his top pick as the number one guy, I think it just goes to show you that the consensus is out the window and anything can happen come the draft. And I know there are people out there who think the media tries to drum up controversy. I take way too much time to do this to do anything other than give you the exact opinion that I feel is correct. Um, or at least in my view, the, that has the most opportunity for success. Um, Bob's is this, you know, those scouts, they, they, they're not trying to drum up controversy because they know how valuable that tool is as well and how, how it can definitely move the industry. Um, and I believe that there is, that it is representative of what I've heard throughout the last several weeks. It's like, yeah, you know, I like Shane Wright. I think he's good. You know, he's good. Is he great? You know, I like Slavkovsky. I think there's a lot there. There's plenty of things to like. I mean, geez, look at the size, look at the skill, look at what he did in international games and look at how, you know, he might be a, a guy that steps right in for us. You know, Cooley, look at this dynamic talent. Look at the ceiling on him. You know, where is he going to go as he gets bigger and stronger? You know, that's, you, you're hearing all of those things and you're saying, who's it going to be? And the other thing that you have to keep in the back of your mind is that maybe, just maybe, none of those three are the best player that come out of this draft. Maybe we're not talking about who that player is going to be. And I wish I could tell you, because that would make me a lot smarter, uh, or at least feel a lot smarter, but I don't know. So... A lot to think about, a lot to digest, but every time Bob's List comes out, it's over on tsn.ca. Definitely go check that out. Um, just a couple of other notes from that list that I thought was um, interesting. Uh, Simon Nemich, number four on that list. Cutter Gauthier moves up to five, and that is very consistent with what I've been hearing. He has been one of the fastest risers. David Juracek at six. Joachim Kamel at seven. 
Jonathan Lakaramaki at 8, Matt Savoy at 9, Marco Casper moving up to 10. And then you get the run on defensemen, Kevin Korczynski, pa- Pavel Mentukov, Connor Geeky's at 13, um, Danila Yurov quite low at 14. I think that's probably likely that he will slip in the first round. Um, Brad Lambert came in at 16. We'll talk a lot about Brad Lambert with some questions there. Jimmy Snuggerud at 17. I think he's going to be a guy that's kind of flown under the radar. Um, and then Yuri Kulich at 18. And Ivan Marashashenko still in the first round based on the scout poll at 19th overall. So uh, a lot of real intrigue there. Again, it's over at tsn.ca. You should definitely check it out. Bob's list is great. He does a lot of work to get that ready. Um, and it's completely unbiased on his part because he lets the scouts do the work that they do, and uh, it's a very valuable tool. So very much like that and uh, really respect it. Okay, last thing before we get into the actual question period, which is going to take a while, um, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to everybody that has rated and reviewed this podcast recently. We've gotten a lot of new reviews, five stars, really appreciate that. Couple of great reviews out of Canada. We got from Sam75838, awesome, exclamation point with a smiley face. That sounds like a, a good a good one there. Uh, Dan, the 12 man, uh, sends a five-star rating. Great podcast, well-spoken, well-informed, great podcast for the NHL prospect enthusiast. Thank you so much for that. Also wanted to say a quick thank you to TM Borst. Five-star review, great podcast. This is by far one of the best podcasts to listen to if you like to hear about prospects. And TJRB, great hockey pod, great content, tons of intelligent and partial analysis presented very well. I really enjoy this pod, and I'm glad to know that Chris is going back into bigger hockey journalism. Thank you. Thank you very much, TJRB. And Jimmy Sniggle with a five-star rating, a must-listen every week. One of my favorite podcasts out there, fantastic hockey content. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody. If you haven't left a rating yet, please do so on Apple Podcasts. Those are all Apple Podcast reviews. Wherever you get your podcast, please leave a kind rating and review. It does help us move up the charts. Last two episodes have been among the most listened to ever for this podcast. I thank you all for that. Corey Promen's episode, episode 49, um, which you can go back into the archives and check out, is officially the most listened to podcast since we've started this in over a year. And last, our last podcast, which was um, talking about my draft rankings, uh, that was episode 50, and that is on pace to become the second most listened to uh, podcast. It may even pass Promen. I don't know. We'll see. We, there's still plenty of time. Uh, but I want to say thank you to everybody that's checked it out. This podcast, as I mentioned, and as th- things are going to change for me, I am moving on to a different job here very soon. Um, I'll actually be starting, uh, well, I technically already started it. I'll be able to talk about it. We're going to have a little bit of an announcement coming soon. This podcast will be going with me. I will continue this podcast. We will be adding a video element to it. So get ready for that. Super excited um, to to have that so that we have an even greater opportunity to reach a bigger audience Um, and just keep this train moving. And it is all thanks to you because you are the guys that keep me going. And in this particular week, you are the guys that are providing all of the guys and girls that are providing all of the content um, with all the questions that you asked. And so uh, the next phase of this podcast, of this particular episode is going to get a little bit erratic because we're going to we got questions about teams, we got questions about players. We've got, you know, I've got a whole section on the Flyers, on Brad Lambert, on 
the capitals, on the coyotes, on so many different things. We are going to cover it all. Um, we're going to talk about first round, second round. Heck, we'll talk about the seventh round if we have to. Tons of great questions that will give me a chance to answer things uh, very, uh, hopefully most of them quickly, but some of them we'll, we'll spend a little extra time on. So without further ado, I now turn my podcast over to you. I thank you again for listening, and I am so excited to answer your questions, starting with this one. Our lucky first questioner is Vince, and he asks, we've heard a lot that this draft wasn't a good one, but days before the draft, is that really the case? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think that we've learned that this, saying it's not a good draft is 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 all relative, because it's, it's relative to previous drafts. It's relative to what we come to expect. Um, and this year's draft, I think there's tons of value. There's plenty of good players. It's not great at the top. We talked about that just, you know, already about how the lack of certainty is largely because none of those players had a great enough season to say, that's the guy. There's no doubt in my mind that that is the player. And you wish that that was the case when you're picking first overall, but that's not it this year. Beyond that, then you're saying, okay, well, you know, what about the defensemen? What about, you know, the the depth? It's just, it's it's a strange year. I'd say that there's a lot of, you know, but you but you look and you say, you know, Cutter Goche really popped up. You know, Marco Casper has really risen up the charts. Uh, what do we, you know, th- there's so many different players that have, have, have staked a claim to go reasonably high. One of the interesting things about McKenzie's list, too, that he said is that, that a lot of players all the way down to about 50th on his list got first round from somebody, which just goes to show you the wide array of players that could potentially go in those top 32 picks. It's huge. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad draft. It just means that there is a lot less consensus about who the best players are. And I do think as the draft goes on, and we've talked in our last podcast, you can go back and listen to that, we had talk about tiers, the, the way I see the draft tiered off. I still think that the top three guys are alone at the top, but there is the potential that, say, one of the defensemen or maybe even Cutter Goche knocks one of the top three guys off of that perch. You know, it's certainly possible. So I, I'll say that I, you know, I think that the, this draft leaves a lot of projecting to do is going to force the scouts to do that little extra bit of digging about all of these players because once you get past a certain level, and really once you start at the top, there's something about each of them that you could say, I don't know. I don't know. Is that the fatal flaw? Is or, you know, is there enough of this good thing or that good thing that puts them over the top and allows them to be a good player? Mr. MTL asks. Would you consider it a mistake if the Canadians choose Cooley first overall? Um, obviously not, because I have Logan Cooley as the number one prospect in this draft. And I think that if Montreal went in that, in that direction, I'm not sure that they will. But if they did, you're getting an elite center. Um, I think a guy who has the biggest potential of the players in this draft to be a star, to be a, a superstar, to be a number one center in the league. Um, he is a unique talent. He is quick. He is shifty. Um he is all the things that you would expect a Martin St. Louis team looking for, to look for. But I will also say 
I don't think you should be drafting the team for Martin St. Louis. You're, you're drafting the team for the best long-term outcome. How long, you know, coaches don't last all that long, even though Marty had a great first year behind the bench and first half season behind the bench. We don't know where things are going to go. So the reason that I think Cooley is the top guy is because I think he plays the way that the game is going. He plays that style where it's push the pace, transitional offense, making plays off the rush, backing down defenders with speed, backing them down with skill, making plays on the fly. He's so good at, at finding players in transition. Um, and while he's moving at a fast pace, he's processing the game at that pace. And so that's why I think that the Habs have a real honest, you know, if they should be having a discussion and Logan Cooley should be part of that discussion with Shane Wright, with Uri Slavkovsky, with whoever else they want to. But I do think that there is a real opportunity for the Canadians to, to hit a home run. And I of the mind that the player that gives you the best chance to hit a home run is Logan Cooley. I may be in the minority on that. Obviously I'm in the minority among the, the scouts that Bob, uh, Bob McKenzie pulled. I know my friend Corey Promen has Cooley th third or fourth, you know? So it's like, you know, that's there, there are plenty of differences of opinion. I just happen to think that Cooley has the best potential of anybody. And if Montreal picked him, um, I guess I'd feel pretty good because I had him first, but it's certainly, that's not how I set up my board. I don't set it up for the Montreal Canadiens. I just set it up for, you know, a, a blank team. And if I were running it, who I would pick. Um, and, and that would be Cooley. All right. So Ken asks, do you think the Canadians will be able to package some of their 13 picks outside of 10, uh, outside of the first overall to move up in the first round? Good question. And it, you know, I think it's certainly possible. Um, just taking a look, and by the way, shout out to Cap Friendly for having the draft board. Um, it's such a useful tool, and it's easily sortable. And so, let's just go through what picks Montreal has now that the the order is set. So you've got Montreal; they got the first and the twenty sixth. So they've got two first rounders, the thirty third overall, sixty second overall. So two second rounders, so four picks within the first two rounds, three third rounders, sixty six, seventy five, ninety two. 98 in the fourth round, 127, 128 also in the fourth round, a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh, or, and sorry, two sevenths. So that's the, the type of picks that we're talking about. In general, packaging picks to move up only makes sense if that specific guy is there for you. Um, so that's a decision you have to make on the draft floor, essentially. Um, you know, could you use 33 and 26 to move up a few spots in the first round if there's somebody there? Absolutely, you could. Do I think that you would be better served using 26 and 33? I absolutely do. I don't think that you're going to be able to move up high enough to pick an impact prospect, whereas you can keep 26 and 33 and pick guys that very well could be in your first round range on your board. That's how everybody's, it's all spread out at that point. There's going to be a lot of good players there. Those are the guys that I think, you know, you that's the, that's the decision you have to make. But I think Montreal makes um you know make it makes a ton of sense for them to just hold on to those picks whether you can say let's let's get 66 and 62 to move up into the second round you know you probably wouldn't move up super high but that could make sense as well i think that the way that the draft is structured sets up pretty reasonably well for the montreal to use its first four picks 
or five picks and get pretty quality players because they're going to have that early third round. That's still a range where you can expect some guys that you're going to have a little bit higher on your board than other teams do to still be there. And so I think it's a good question. Could they do it? Absolutely, they could. I think that the, there will be teams that are willing to make that move. But especially with that that second first rounder and that early second, there's two good of options available to you to to just you know un- unless there's a player that you're desperate for um, that's still dangling there in that late first round um, that's that's where you gotta you gotta make that decision. I love this question it comes from Eric and he asks, is there a Kale McCarr hiding in this draft? Well, the conditions certainly are setting up for it, isn't it? You know, I I, I mean, the thing about Kale McCarr that we have to go back and think about is that he was in a tier, you know, tier two junior, um, uh, playing junior A hockey uh, in the AJHL for the Brooks Bandits. And, you know, that draft year was obviously, you had Nolan Patrick, you had Nico Heischer, you had Elias Pettersson, Miro Haskinen. Those were the guys that, you know, were certainly at that time made a ton of sense in that range. As for Kale, he's a sub six foot defenseman, right? So he's a sub six foot defenseman. He had an incredible season in his draft year, 75 points in 54 games for Brooks, 16 and 13 playoff games. He, you know, the skill, the speed, everybody knew that was there. But, you know, there was always this, there's also this thing, it's like, this kid's going to UMass, like, is it, at the time, you know, you, it's so funny to look back, you know, when you thought UMass, why would he go to UMass? Why would a top prospect go there? Um, and he stuck with it and went there and obviously thrived and now is one of the best players in the league. But, you know, I think that the fact that he played in the AJHL absolutely hindered his drafts, his draft stock. Did it hinder his development? Not one bit. And that's what mattered more. So, you know, teams are going to say, oh, gosh, how much can we trust that production in that level? Especially given that he it was his second full year in the league and he dominated as a rookie as well. You know, 55 points in 54 games, his first full season in the AJ. And then another over point per game in the playoffs. I mean, he is unlike anything that we had really seen. And that's why I think historical stats are so important. When you look at... You know, you look at Kale McCarr relative to his peers in the AJHL in that in that league, you know, for his age, you know, you say U18 player, you know, all, you know, looking back and, you know, you, ha- you also have to kind of filter through. And this is a great one of the great resources for doing this kind of work as elite prospects. If you um, get their subscription, you can you know, really play with their stat pages and it helps you really see kind of uh the landscape of of you know the a league and and you know sometimes you gotta double check the numbers but most times it's 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 right there and you know i would say that you know kill mccarr's draft season was unprecedented um to that point you know and um he nobody nobody had ever really had that kind of year um, that he did. Um, and then oddly enough, a few years later, Mike Benning, a young defenseman matched his point total. Um, at, at, and now he's, uh, he's playing for, for the university of Denver and just won a national championship as well. Um, but you know, there wasn't a lot of precedent for you to go, Oh, well, what does this really mean? And, you know, Kale was pretty much off the charts at that point. You know, he was also a, a late birthday as well. 
you know, so it's just like, what, what do we, what do we do with this guy? Um, and lo and behold, he is what he is. So anyway, another Kale McCarr soliloquy aside, is there a Kale McCarr in this year's draft? You know, I think of the players that are hiding that you, nobody's hiding. You know, I don't think that the, that, it, you know, Kale McCarr wasn't hiding. He still was a fourth overall pick, which is an incredibly high pick, especially coming out of the AJ. Um, you know, but you look at those guys that, that maybe play in leagues and, and maybe, you know, maybe it is Simon Nemich this year. Maybe it is. Um, you look at the production that he had in Slovakia and, that's a league similar to the AJHL where we might discount his production, but nobody's ever produced at that level as a defenseman in that league. Nobody has ever come close and he's really off the charts. And you look at kind of some of his NHL equivalencies and, and it's just like, Whoa, Whoa, you know, maybe is, is this guy as special as the numbers say? The reason I have some reservations about Nemec is I think that his, his, his play is a little unrefined. There's not as ton of detail defensively. He still needs a lot of work. Um, you know, his competitiveness can wane at times. He's not as big, but then again, you know, neither was Kale McCarr, but he's not the Kale McCarr level skater. He's a good skater. He's not an amazing skater. Um, he's good enough. Uh, but you look at what he's done this year and you say, well, could it be him? And it could be, it, it very well could be. I think that you have to look at what Nemich did this year and say, I mean, we don't know exactly what to make of the numbers, but we can watch the player and we see the maturity of his game um, in terms of, you know, his poise with the puck, the decisions that he makes, you know, that, that of the players that are in this draft, I think he's the guy that you could say, well, maybe he is the Kale McCarr of this draft and he might go as low as he could go as early as two, I would say. And, but maybe as, as late as six or seven, you know, like we really, we really don't know yet um, how that's going to play out, but maybe it's him. So good question from Eric and a, Always enjoy the chance to talk a lot about Kale McCarr because I think uh, he's pretty special. All right, Alvar asks, how surprised would you be if Brad Lambert makes the NHL in his draft plus one or draft plus two season and immediately becomes an effective transitional player and power play threat? I would be shocked. Um, I think that Lambert's speed is incredible. He's an NHL skater all day long. He is the best skater in this draft. He has the speed. He has the skill. He has a lot there. My concern is too much of his game is to the outside, and in the NHL, that doesn't work. Yes, you can burn in transition, but he's he's very fast now. He can beat defenders with that speed to the outside. It's going to be a lot harder to do that in the NHL. Draft plus one, I think there's no chance. I think his you look at what he did in in his season this year in in Finland, and it just we have not seen him open things up offensively at all in the last two years, and it, it, it's not clicking. He needs to do better to get to the interior. He needs to be able to, um, you know, sometimes he gets a little too much tunnel vision. It's too much to the outside. He's trying to use the skate, overuse the skating, and not getting to the inside enough. Uh, but you look at things like his posture and his 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 stick handling ability and the way that he makes plays and as he moves, you say, man, there's so much there. And maybe the thing about this is, and the reason I like this question is that when a player gets to the NHL and they're playing with elite level players, sometimes having those elite traits are enough. But you have to have the brain too. And I'm not a hundred percent that Brad Lambert is thinking of the game at an NHL level right now. He's thinking it at a high level, but he's not thinking it at an NHL level. And I think that's why we haven't seen the production that he is capable of 
um, in Liga. Which brings me to the next question, which is also about Brad Lambert. Josh asks, what's best for Brad Lambert's development? Stay in Finland, move to the Canadian Hockey League to Saskatoon next season, or join the AHL? It's a question I've been asking myself a lot as well because uh, uh, Lambert has said repeatedly that he is willing to do you know, whatever. He's open to coming to North America. Um, of course, he's a dual Canadian and Finnish citizen. Um, you know, he speaks – his mother is Finnish, speaks Finnish at home with her, um, speaks English with his dad. You know, like so – you know, and, and, and Saskatoon is also like a second home to him as well. So – that could be good. So basically, the last two years that we've seen Brad Lambert play against professionals, we haven't seen him take that next step. There is a case to say, well, maybe he should go to the Canadian Hockey League. Maybe he should go to the WHL, play for Saskatoon, um, get his confidence back. Because when he's played in his age group at the U-20s, at the U-18s, he's had more success. Um, and the question is, is, does that set him back? I don't think it does. I think basically he was out he had outgrown the U20 ranks in Finland, but he wasn't quite there for the pros. He probably it was I think some of it was too much too soon for him. And it might help for him to kind of take that step back. Of those three options, I do think that going to the WHL could be the best one for his long-term development, but it would be a one-year stay. Um, he's got to move to the next, you know, whether it's going back to Finland the following year, playing the AHL the following year, because he'll be drafted out of Finland. Um, he does not have to go back to the CHL because of his age. Um, so that's a thing that, you know, teams will have to decide, but I think it's either stay in Finland or go to the CHL. I don't think the AHL is going to help him too much yet. Um, I think I'd rather have him play in a place where he's either comfortable or able to, um, stand out. And I think that will become clear as he comes into training camp, as he goes into, through rookie camp and those things. He's been in Canada. Uh, Scott Wheeler wrote a story recently for The Athletic, um, and Brad Lambert said that he's training with Gary Roberts in Ontario right now. So it seems like he's you know very committed to getting prepared for that NHL season, um, NHL camp and stuff like that. So that'll be interesting. I, I just don't think that you know, I love when players go to the AHL at younger ages, and that could be the play, um, depending on what team drafts him. You know, not all AHL teams and 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 NHL team development systems are created equal, um, so that's the other thing you kind of have to consider. So uh, we'll see where he gets drafted first, and then from there, you know, based on who drafts him, I think we'll have a very clear indication soon what their plan is going to be for him because whoever takes him is going to have to have that plan because this is a pro this is a prospect that is on the cusp of being special and he's been dangling there for the last two years and we don't really know why um now i have him pretty low on my board i 25th i know craig button has him even you know outside of the first round um i think that that he is he is a project, but the best kind of project because he already has some elite tools, stuff that you won't be able to teach him and make better. You got to get those other things better. But he has that foundation of skating and good skill, and that can carry him quite a way. So two great questions about Brad Lambert. One of the more polarizing prospects in this draft, one of the most fascinating prospects in this draft, and very well could be when all is said and done, if he can get back on track, one of the best players to come out of this draft. 
So we'll have to wait and see. There's just so much risk, and that is why I've bumped him down is because it's going to take something to get, you know, something has to be pulled out of him because he hasn't taken those steps that we expected him to take. Just had to pause for a sip so that I don't uh, cough all over my mic the rest of this uh, episode here. All right. This next one comes from Jeremy. It seems like Joachim Kamel's stock has steadily dropped since he was injured midseason. Do you think he's still a lock for the top 10, or is there a decent chance, decent enough chance that teams get scared by the slower second half, culminating in the infamous 5'10 measurement gasp that he falls? Also, uh, Adam asks, is there any chance the Flyers take Joachim Kamel at number 5? So I'll answer both of these uh, consecutively here. Um, to, to answer the first part, you know, I think... Kamel has dropped a little bit, but it's not because there's a lack of belief in his skill set. It is certainly, I think that a lot of people felt that his first half was um, really uh, shooting percentage driven, not sustainable, not something, you know, but of the players in this draft, of the U18 players in Finland, he was the highest scorer among those players. And you look at Gary Slavkovsky, Brad Lambert, neither of those guys had great production this year. Um, Kamel's relative to theirs, outstanding. Um, I don't think he's going to fall outside of the top 10. I think there is a chance that the Flyers could draft him at five. I would be surprised if they did. I don't think he's really their type. Um, And that's not to say, oh, they're just going to draft a big bruising guy. No, that's not what I mean. I just think that they're, you know, they have some soft skill kind of in their system. Um, And I think they want to get, you know, faster, maybe a little bit bigger too. But, you know, faster, get something, maybe some strength down the middle as well. That's where I see them going more than... You know, a player like Kamel, who very well could be one of the better scoring wingers of this draft um, and, and has a tremendous shot, really good skill. Um, I think his skating is is very good. He had a great combine as well, really performed well um, in a lot of the things like that dealt with endurance and, and strength and things like that. So, you know, um, yes, he did measure shorter, which was pretty weird. Like, you know, like the fact that all year we'd say he's like, oh, he's like 5'11", 6 foot, somewhere in there. And then he measures in it like five nine and a half which again didn't scare me away because i know what he is i've seen the player up close and i think that you know if he is that short um which i mean guess he'd be my height uh you know i i i'd be you know i don't think it really impacts the way that he plays but um i don't think that he's gonna fall it's certainly possible because i think there's so much unpredictability going into this draft um, that he goes, but I think, you know, I, I think it's more likely than not we'll see him go before like a Jonathan Lakiramaki, who's very similar in terms of skill set, size, um, and, and that things of that nature. So, you know, there's a chance that Lakiramaki could go ahead of him, but I still think Kamal is very much in that discussion. And I would say that there's a chance the Flyers take him at five. I think it's more likely that, you know, if Goche or one of the defensemen is there, it would be one of them. Um, they just seem to fit a little bit more uh, need. So that brings us into our next Flyers question. This comes from Andrew. The Flyers have Ryan Ellis signed for, I think, four more years, Ristolainen for five, Couturier for eight, and Hayes for four more. They have essentially nothing at those two positions coming. If you're sitting at five with one of the D-men or Cutter or Matt Savoy, how would you decide which player to target? If I'm the Flyers, the only thing I'm thinking about is which of these players is going to be the best NHL player. Their prospect system has needs everywhere. It is, it is, it, they, they have a lot that they need to get to. I am a big believer in Cam York. Um, I think Samu Tuamala is going to be a good player down the road. 
Um, you know, we're still waiting to see Morgan Frost take that next step. They did add Owen Tippett. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I, Joel Farabee is a young player. You know, th- there's there's a lot to like there, even though, he, you know, he's undergone some surgery this offseason. Um, the focus has to be strictly on who they think the best player is. At, at number five, you know, it certainly could be Goche if he's still there. I'm not 100% convinced he would be. Um you know, there's also the the potential of, of Nemich or Juracek, you know, either of those two guys. I think Juracek kind of, he's got the size, he's got the shot, he's got a lot of the tools that I think that would be attractive to the Flyers and in, in, in having a guy that would be on their right side um, and and give him a chance. You know, I think there's also the, the potential that, you know, they grab like a guy maybe off the board or, you know, somebody that we haven't necessarily been talking about in the top five as much. I know one guy that could move up into a higher range is Connor Geeky. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the skating issue there, but he is a big center, great hockey sense. You know, there's a lot to like about him. So, you know, with the Flyers in the position that they're in, really difficult season, and, you know, they're, they they won't rebuild. You know, I mean, they basically outright said that, that they're not ready to rebuild, um, and I don't think they will be, but... This is a, a hugely important pick for them. They've got to get it right. They've got to make sure it's the right player um, in the right situation. And um, I'll be very interested to see who that is. You know, Brent Flar coming from uh, Minnesota, they've had success drafting defensemen high. Um, you know, and and that's that could be where you you know try to continue to rebuild the foundation of this team. Um, you know, I think that Cutter Goche very well could be a foundational piece. Um, he's got a lot of upside, but there's a lot of risk there too. And you also aren't going to be sure hundred percent that he, you know, will he be a center? He thinks he can be, I think he can be, it's not a lock. You know, I think that he played really well at wing this year and that's a place where he can maximize some of his offensive talent. So a lot to consider there, but I think the flyers are going to be a real interesting team to watch. Um, you know, we, we could say the draft starts at four because we think the top three guys are going to go, but I really think it, you know, it starts at one um, because technically it does, but also because we just don't know what the Habs are going to do. Um, and, and that's really fascinating. So uh, I think that, yeah, if I'm the, the Flyers, whoever's next up on the board, that's who I'm taking. All right. Let's see here. Tim. Tim asks, should the Senators, should Sens fans be looking at who Pierre Dorian is going to select at the seventh spot, or will it be part of a pre-draft trade? Well, I'm I think it's certainly possible that the Senators move this pick for a roster player. Um, I think that they are in a position where they've built a lot. Um, there's a lot of intrigue here. You know, I think you could maybe get one of those two defensemen to fall into that range. You could add a more dynamic talent. You know, maybe if, if Joachim Kamel is there and say, well, we get a roster player versus Kamel. I, you know, I'd love to have Kamel uh, on my roster. You know, I I've got Frank Nazar very high. I don't think that that's a guy that the, the, the senators would necessarily target, but you know, that's, that's, that would be interesting. You know, does Cutter Goche fall? Does somebody else fall that we don't see? But I think that we're going to see at least one top 10 pick move. Um, I don't know if it's going to be the Devils. Don't know if it's going to be the, the Sens. You know, don't know if it's going to be somebody that we're not even thinking about. You know, what's Columbus going to do at, at six? You know, there's a lot of different things that you can you can ask about. But, you know, I think that the Senators have to 
keep everything on the table here. Um, they're going to get a good player if they keep the pick. A really good player. Um, you know, I think last year they went way off the board with their first round pick, and I don't think it's going to set them back too far. But it's still, it's you know, it's something that you have to think about. Is well, do we want some insurance for that pick? And I do think with Tim Stutzla, you know, super dynamic talent. You got a lot of skill in that group, but can you get faster? Can you get more dynamic talent? I think you can in that range. And if I were the Senators, I would wait until the last possible minute. I'd wait to see who's there. And if I had another offer that I liked from a team that is desperate to get that seventh pick, that is going to give me something and also maybe keep a first-round pick as part of that, uh, as part of that trade package, I'd at least consider it. All right, this next one comes from Clark. I'd love to hear a detailed comparison or breakdown for the top left shot D options. Matejchuk versus Matejchuk versus Mintukov versus Korchinski. I feel they're all so close. If I were a GM, I'd probably prefer that two th- two of the three were gone before I picked, just so the choice was made for me. Ha ha, ha ha. Indeed, um, it's always one thing that Kent Hughes said on the Daily Faceoff show, uh, Daily Faceoff, uh, uh, the. DFO rundown um, with Frank Cervelli and Jason Greger last week was that, you know, I want to have, the, I want to have a choice. And I think you would always rather to have the choice and and the teams spend enough time. They're going to know which of those three guys they like best. Um, it is my personal opinion that Kevin Korchinski is going to be the first one of those three to go. It's not the, necessarily the guy that I have, you know, I have Matejchuk actually, um, who really moved up my list throughout the second half of the season. His production was incredible. But we're, we're looking at three very different players here. Yes, they're all left-shot defensemen of varying degrees of height. You got Korczynski, he's the six-foot-two, lanky, uh, really smooth, puck-moving, uh, some dynamic elements, you know, decent enough defensively, played big minutes for Seattle. Um, you know, I think that he's looked at, of those three, as the one with the highest upside. Um, you look at Mintukov. High-end goal scorer. He likes to get in from the from the blue line, get up to the top of the faceoff circles, moving tight, take a good shot. Um, you know, solid enough defensively. He makes a lot of good plays. Um, he's got, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call him a dynamic puck handler, but he's certainly a very skilled defenseman. He's got good hands. Um, he's got a great shot. You know, so that's that's big for him. For for me, the reason that I have Matejchuk ahead of those guys is largely because he is a high-end skater. He is, uh, you know, five foot eleven, but sturdily built. You know, he, he's got some strength. Um, really good skater, really good puck mover. I mean, just absolute maturity, great decision making. Um, you know, I think of those guys. You look at the point totals that he had this year, over sixty points in the WHL. Um, dictated everything his team could do. I mean, he could take over shifts. He could make plays that you didn't see coming. He, he could stretch the ice. He could make plays in transition. He could get pucks out of his zone. You know, I think he's, the, of those three, the best skater. Um, I think he's the best puck mover. Um, and that's why I like him so much there. Uh, so, but yeah, but as I said, I think that a lot of people view Korchinski as the higher upside guy. It's not just because he's bigger. It's also because, you, you know, he's got some fluidity to his game. He's got maturity in his puck skills. Um, and, you know, he played big minutes on a team that went on a deep run, and that certainly helps. Um, you know, and then I think Matejchuk, really the only thing that's the drawback is the size. But, you know, I mean, Kale McCarr was drafted at 5'11", too. So, you know, it's like, it's just, it's just the way it is. So I got a lot of faith in Matejchuk uh, as a top-end 
kind of player. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, I mean, all those guys, they're really close on my board. Um, they're guys that, that I've, I've liked throughout the year. I was, I was a little bit higher on Mintukov, I think earlier in the season and kind of slowly moved down, but that was more because of the guys around him and less about, um, you know, less about, uh, you know, his, his play, I, you know, I thought that he played very well and I think there's a lot of upside there. Um, you know, and if you go on my, on my draft rankings, you'll see, you know, Matejchuk 13th, Korchinski 14th and Mintukov 17th. I mean, that's, that's just where they're really tight for me. I think that's a similar range. I think probably Korchinski could go closer to the top 10, maybe even inside the top 10. Um, that'll be interesting to watch those guys go. We got another Mintukov question. Frank asks, how good can Mintukov be in his own end when an opponent has the puck? Will he be able to get physical and clear out the net front? You know, he's got decent size and good, you know, strength. I mean, I think that he's committed to playing in his own end. He's not just an all offense player. Um, to, the offensive elements of his game are certainly the more advanced elements. Um, but defensively, I think he holds his own. Um, and I think he'll continue to get stronger. He's about six foot one, 190 some pounds. You know, it's pretty good size. Uh, he, he's going to be able to make those plays. He can, he's got a competitive drive to him as well. Um, so I don't, I, that's not something that I'm necessarily real worried about. Uh, I think that he, he defends off the puck pretty well. Um, it, you know, is it the thing that you're going to spotlight about his game? Absolutely not. But it's certainly, it's, it's not a liability to me. Not, not, not as bad as, you know, it could be. Um, and the fact that he didn't play anywhere last year and had the season that he did, um, speaks volumes as well, uh, about his commitment to, to getting better. And, and I thought, you know, he played in a tough situation this year. Saginaw was not a very good team. He had a very good year. Um, and, and I think, you know, you, you can look at the, the plus minus stats. They're going to be awful on a bad team. The same thing with like Owen Pickering, um, and, and a bunch of others where, you know, that they, they, they just, they, they were on the ice for a lot of goals against because their team just gave up a ton of goals and that certainly wasn't all on them. Okay. Now we get our, our requisite Lane Hudson question. Always glad to get a Lane Hudson question because as I've said many times, he is my favorite player in this draft. Um, where does Lane Hudson go and what is his ceiling? This came from Deegan. Um, well, Deegan, uh, you know, Lane Hudson, I think the way, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, there is a off chance he goes in the late first round. It appears more likely he'll go in the second. Um, you know, I have him in the, you know, a, as a late first. Um, let's say he does grow to five foot 11, uh, which he's, you know, that, that'd be a, a lot. He's five foot eight now and heading into college next year. And, you know, we know we've heard about the endocrinologist and then, you know, trying to figure out his bone age and, and everything else and that he has room to grow. And I, I believe that I don't care if he grows, uh, to be completely honest. I think that he still can be a top four defenseman in the NHL. Um, it would, he's going to need to get thicker. Um, but he is an incredibly dynamic skater. He is one of the best puck movers of this class. He's one of the most intelligent players in this class. I feel like I was cowardly to put him as low as I did. And I think that the teams that uh, don't believe in him are too obsessed with the size. I did it too. So I can't really criticize too much. If I were to tell you that he that I thought he could be the best defenseman in this draft, it's not an exaggeration. 
The reason you have to take the size into account for in terms of a ceiling projection, because there are a lot of teams that would not be able to have a player like that and compete at the hardest times of the year. Is he going to get pushed off the puck? Is he going to get hurt? Is he, you know, you look at Sam Gerrard is one of the smaller defensemen in the NHL and he did get hurt um, and missed the rest of the season. It was a bit of a freak thing, but he was such an incredible, incredibly important part of that avalanche roster. And then, in the playoffs, they lose him um, and really didn't miss a beat. Um, and, you know, that allowed Jack Johnson to play more. He became a more physical presence on their team. Um, and you still need that to win in the NHL. The thing about Lane Hudson, though, in terms of ceiling is that hockey sense that he has, his competitive drive, all of those things, he is a kid that will not be denied. You ask anybody that's around him, they will tell you he is one of the most competitive players here. I've said this before, and people don't believe me when I say it. He has the best defensive stick in this draft. He is every he gets pucks off of the opposition with such ease, and he's always around the puck in the defensive zone. He's always seems to be in the right place, and then he's always dangerous when he has it. Um, his ability to get inside in the offensive zone, his ability to get passes to the slot. Um, to walk down the wall. Those are things that are really difficult to find in, in a player. And at his size, he's never f- been afraid. Just never plays scared, ever. Um, and I have a huge, you know, I have a huge amount of respect for um, for Lane Hudson, the way that he plays. And I, so my, my feeling is that he could be a number four if he does grow some and if he continues on his current trajectory, he could be better than that. Um, I think he's a special player and I will continue to defend him um, until I'm proven wrong. And uh, only he can, you know, determine where he goes next. Obviously opportunity plays a role. Um, He's headed to Boston university. I think he's going to thrive in the college game. Um, And I I think he's going to be a really good player. So I, you know, Maybe he goes in the second round, and if he does, congrats to that team who takes him. Stepan asks, will Yuri Kulich be drafted in the first round? And my opinion on him, yes, Yuri Kulich will be drafted in the first round. I don't think there's any doubt anymore. Um, certainly for a portion, you know, after the under-18 Worlds, it became readily apparent that he has NHL scoring ability. Um, he has competitiveness. He can play center. He can play wing. He can be a power play weapon. Um, you know, he's got the best one timer that I've seen in this draft, at least, you know, in practice and in, in, in games, um, you know, seeing what he did at the world under 18, seeing how he played professionally this year and did very well, kind of under the radar in terms of how well he played in the Czech league this year, not, you know, they don't put up big numbers in that league. Um, he certainly didn't, but I think that he is a, he is the kind of player that you you absolutely have to take, uh, uh, take as, uh, as a, as a potential, top 20 pick at this point. Um, you know, I think that there are enough teams that like him that, that, that feel that that goal scoring will translate. So yes, first rounder. And, and I like him a lot. Patrick asks, do you see any similarities with Marco Casper and Marco Rossi beside the size difference? Both seem to have a similar toolkit yet. Rossi is seen as the one with more offensive potential. I can't help but think if Casper was in a similar set of circumstances as Rossi was in his draft year, um, we'd be talking about him in a similar light. I don't see them as very similar, uh, to be honest, Patrick. I, I don't, um, you know, I think that, it, I, I do think that Marco 
Casper would have definitely put up huge numbers in junior. But what really impressed me is how well he played against professionals in Sweden this year and how well he played in the toughest time of the season during the postseason. Um, both of them are highly competitive. I think, you know, Rossi certainly had that 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 drive, um, but I think that Casper is more effective in the defensive elements of the game in his competitiveness doesn't have close to the same skill in terms of what Rossi has in terms of his vision um, and his 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 overall finishing ability. But Casper has a skating advantage. He has that toughness advantage. He has, um, not to say that Marco Rossi isn't tough because, I mean, kid's been through a ton and he's, he's a warrior. Um, but Marco Casper, you know, to me, one of the most competitive players in the draft, just never quits on a puck. He's such a bulldog. And I, I use that term about Rossi as well, him being a bulldog. But I just think Casper, with his size, with his 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 speed and all those things, he's just able to do it a bit more effectively and was able to do it against professionals. So I, I don't see them as necessarily similar. Um, but I do think that all of the sudden, Marco Casper has become a guy that we're talking about as a potential top 10 pick. I don't think he has the offensive upside as Rossi, and that's why I'm a little bit lukewarm on him as a top 10 guy, but I still have him in the top 15. Um, don't have him far away from the top 10. Um, and a lot of it has to do with that competitive drive that he plays with and the maturity that he plays with. I think whoever gets him is going to be extremely excited about, about that pick. And that leads us into our next question from Chris. And he says, hey, Chris, do you think Marco Casper has untapped offensive potential? If so, what might re that realistically look like at the NHL level? By the way, congrats on your new position. Can't wait to read your work soon, wherever it may be. Thank you, Chris. Really appreciate the question um, and the kind words. I do think there, that Casper has a chance to be a little bit more offensive. I think you see flashes of skill every now and again. We certainly saw it at the World Championship where things were a little bit more open for him. He was able to play in a, 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 you know, a, as a wing, and that opened things up. I think he's so focused on doing his job as a center that the offense isn't necessarily going to come as easily, and it's something that he's going to have to learn over time. Um, I think that he should probably stay in Sweden, get another year with Rogla, um, get an opportunity to play maybe up in the lineup a little bit more, play a bigger role, and maybe we'll start to see some of that offensive potential to come. Um, I think he's a middle six center. You know, like he's he's no better than a two, and he's probably most likely a three but he'd be a really good three with scoring pop. I think he's got enough offensive ability to be that nice, you know, secondary scoring center that gives you tough matchups and all these other things um, and, and is, is highly competitive. So I do think there's more for him to give offensively, but I'm not going to project him out as a top six guy. I just don't see it. I think, he, you know, middle six with that number two being the best case scenario. Um, but I, 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 I like the player quite a bit. All right, this next one comes from Hawks 35 If you are a Hawks fan, and for those that don't know, I did grow up a Chicago Blackhawks fan on the south side of Chicago, would you have wanted them to get a top two pick at this draft or kept their first for next year? Gauging the disparity between the two drafts, I think I would rather the fourth or sixth pick next year over a top two this year. Am I way off? Would Wright be a top five next year? Um, That's a great question. Uh, I think beyond... Bedard, Mitchkov, and maybe Fantilli for next year. Um, I would say Bedard and Mitchkov are heads above uh, anybody in this class uh, for a variety of reasons. I think Fantilli is in the conversation to be ahead of that group. 
as well. I think either way, um, you know, that getting a top two pick would have been nice because I think Logan Cooley absolutely is in that mix as, you know, being in that class with the players that we just mentioned. Um, He's still behind them, but he's in that class. I would probably want to roll the, like, you know, the Blackhawks are in a position right now where they don't have that, a high pick. Maybe they trade, like, let's say if they did end up trading Alex to it and end up getting the number two pick this year, um, I think you'd be thrilled because then you would get a guy like a Cooley or, um, you know, Slavkovsky or Wright or somebody of that nature. And, you know, you'd, you'd be ecstatic about it. But I think that if you can have, I think the, the rolling of the dice to get Bedard um, is more enticing to me. Uh, it's just that you don't know that you're going to get a top two pick next year. And then if you do get a, the second pick, are you going to roll the dice on Mitchkov with the Russian situation and then also the fact that he's under contract until 2026? Big question to ask. Big question to ask. So um, fascinating one to ponder, but I would say that I still would want, you know, if I were picking fourth through sixth next season, I would rather have the picks this year. But if I could pick, if I was rolling the dice on maybe getting Bedard, I'd rather roll the dice, to be completely honest. All right, this next one comes from AJ, and this is a New Jersey Devils-centric post. We'll have a couple of different New Jersey Devils kind of posts here. Um, AJ asks, I'm of the belief that Nico and Hughes are both pure centers. Uh, Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes are both pure centers and shouldn't be moved to wing under any circumstance. With that in mind, put yourself in Tom Fitzgerald's shoes. How comfortable are you drafting Cooley, knowing that you may be limiting his potential by shifting him to wing? Or in other words, how much risk are you assuming by drafting Cooley with the intention of not developing him in his natural center role? That's a complicated question, but it's an interesting one. And I like complicated questions. So to answer your question, AJ, um, I would say that you still just go after the best player and and you know you try not to focus as much on need. Um, the thing is, is you know I think Cooley could be a fit. You know you've got already top two centers, top three really. I mean Dawson Mercer is not a big guy. You look at, down the middle, you're not very big down the middle. So you know I think that there is a focus that needs to be at least considering size at two. Um, I think you can do that with Juracek, with Slavkovsky if he's there, with Wright, uh, who who does who who isn't a huge guy, but he's you know he's he's at least average sized. Um, you can even think about it with Gauthier as well. I think Gauthier, if you have him, you know he's played wing most of this year. He he could make sense there. He really could, especially if Slavkovsky's off the board. Um, so I think if I'm drafting Logan Cooley, I want him to be a center. I understand that I might need to be flexible on that belief and in, in, in that whole, um, scenario. Uh, I also have to understand that the, what if down the route, down the road, Nico or Jack isn't there anymore, or, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So you, you. You kind of have to draft. You can't really. That's why you can't really draft for need. You have to continue to always be forward thinking. Um, and if they have Logan Cooley as the best player on their board, take him regardless of the position. 
Um, I don't necessarily think that's how it's going to go. Um, so we'll have to see. But that's a that's a fascinating one to ponder. I don't know if I answered it all that well. But I, I think you are, if you do say you want to draft Cooley as a wing, which isn't the worst thing in the world, um, you know, I think you're leaving some value on the board. Um, in Centers can move to wing so easily. Um, it's way harder for a wing to move to center. So I'd much rather pick a center and move them to wing. Like the same thing with Dawson Mercer. You could say, I could have him on the wing. I could have him at center. You know, what do I want to do? Um, so you just, you just take the best player. And if, if that means Cooley's on the wing, then Cooley's on the wing. Um, it's just, you never really know. Um, so this next one comes from Wally and he asks, who are the top five players in this draft in a speed motor category? Think Brandon Hagel. That's a tough one. That's a good one. It, it, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, for talking strictly, you know, that speed competitiveness. Um, you know, I think Dan, uh, well, yeah, that's, this is a tough one. So I, I think Cam Lund is, is a guy that could be there. He just needs to get to that, needs to add that competitive spirit a little bit more. I want to see more consistency from him. Just, Go, go, go. Uh, I think Philip Bistet is fast and physical. He's got size to him as well. Um, that's a guy that you could potentially consider as a, as a speed motor kind of guy. Um, I really like Topi Rani. It's not necessarily about the speed, but it's more that he has a motor. He has a drive. He has a competitiveness. Um, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of that player. I think that he's going to be, you know, probably go lower than I think he ultimately deserves to um so that'll be a fascinating one um and uh adam sakura is another guy in that mix where he's not big but he's quick he's he's he gets in there um goes after it paul ludwinski is another one he's slippery speed he's not a big guy but he kind of he he still can battle and and make plays with some greasiness to him uh, so I like that. So, I mean, those are some of the names that I would probably throw into that mix. I don't necessarily want to rank them. Um, uh, another guy that I like is kind of like that competitive. Another Green Bay guy is, you know, is, is uh, Ryan Green. I think he's a hard competitor um, and, and has some good skating ability as well. So those are some names that I would I would shout out as, as guys that have that speed motor kind of, you know, there's skill there. There's a little bit of grit. There's a little tenacity to them. Um, those are, you know, at least among the forwards, those are the kind of guys that I would, I would put in that, in that kind of category that could round out into a player like, like that, like a Brandon Hagel. And, and I'm sure there are others that I'm forgetting, but those are just some of the guys that come to mind, um, in that category. All right. Mike Davis asks Jack Hughes, not the devil's one, the one that's eligible for this draft and the son of the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens. Has been billed as a late first, early second. Where do you see him going and projecting out to be? Also, Michael Fisher has been called a boomer bust pick given his elite skating as a right hand shot, as a right hand D who can skate. Do you see teams taking a swing early, hoping to unlock the offensive potential? Two good questions from Mike and two Eastern based prospects there. Jack Hughes, um, very interesting. Uh, I do think he will slip into the late or the early second round 
I don't think he had a season that you can can trust a first round pick on him. He also doesn't have, you know, the size factor. Um, you know, he he needs to get bigger and stronger, so you take that into account as well. I would say, you know, I I think that he could be a, a middle six center, a guy with skill. Um, he's got some real crafty skill. That's the thing that I like about him, and. And why I still think that he could be in a very early second round pick, unless he does slip into the, the end of the first round, certainly possible. Um, you know, I think that that's that he's going to be um, an, a, a real interesting one, um, just because I don't know where he goes from here. I, I I was a bit disappointed with his season. I thought he could have been better. Um, I think in his U seventeen year at the national team program, I mean, he just looked absolutely sensational a guy that looked like he was trending towards the first round. Um, and maybe, you know, sometimes you wonder, it, it, can a guy get that back? We're talking about that with Shane Wright. We're talking about that with Brad Lambert. We've seen it before. So can they find a way to get that back? It's really difficult to do that. But, but Jack Hughes, uh, of course, you know, the son of Kent Hughes and it, what is Kent going to do? You know, he's got a late first round pick. Can you, can you pick your kid? It'd be, uh, you know, I, it'd be tough to do. Right. So anyway, let's just bounce back. So Jack Hughes in his U 17 year had 38 points in 49 games. Um, he had 34 points in 38 games um, in his U 18 season, uh, missed a lot of time with injury and illness. And then, had a very lackluster under 18 world championship and this year 16 points in 39 games not amazing um especially you know he's he's a late birthday he's in his first year of college hockey you have to at least expect that things aren't going to go 100 percent great um but he's a guy for me that is still a, an early second round pick with a chance to be a, a good scoring depth option um, if he finds his game again, maybe we could start talking about top six, but I think he's got such a far way to go. It's really hard to project that out right now. Michael Fisher is interesting, um, as, as a, you know, he's a prep kid. Um, I had him 93rd on my board. Um, he is, uh, you know, he, he He's got the size and the skating ability, that right shot. You know, you're just like, man, there's got to be something there. Um, 50 points at St. Mark's this year. You know, it's just, it's so hard to project out some of those prep school players. And we've seen, you know, I do think to answer your question, again, just to remind you, since I rambled on about Jack Hughes for so long, you know, is a team going to take a swing early hoping to unlock offensive potential? I could very easily see Michael Fisher slipping into that second round. Um, and, and being a guy that, that a team just takes a swing on because they like the tools. Um, he is heading to Northeastern. Um, so again, with Jack Hughes, he's expected there next year going straight from prep into, um, college. You know, this is a guy with a long runway, a guy that you say, okay, well we can work with him. We can help develop him. He's going to a good program. He's going to get a lot of ice time. Um, that's where we have to get excited about kind of what he can be. Um, and you know, I think absolutely you could potentially see a team take a swing on him as early as the second, probably more likely he goes in the third. Cause there's a lot left to figure out about what he ultimately is, but the size skating package, absolutely a big piece of why, um, you'll hear his name a lot when talking about kind of those mid round guys to watch. 
Uh, this comes from the Devil's Marketing Department, but not the actual Devil's Marketing Department. Uh, who do you think the Devils take at 15 after they trade down for JT Miller? Um, if they're trading the number two overall pick to get JT Miller, as great as JT was this season, as great as the he played for the Canucks, trading the number two overall pick for JT Miller would be psychotic. Um, and I love JT Miller. I think he's the, the kind of player that a lot of teams could use to win hockey games. Um, so who do I think they're going to do? I think that, I think not that, but if they really had to, um, I would assume that they would take, uh, you know, a forward in that range, potentially if he's still there, like a Jonathan Lakiramaki, a Connor Geeky, uh, 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 Jimmy Snuggeroo to Rutger McGrady. I don't know. I mean, but don't, don't, don't do that. So I know you're not really the devil's marketing department, but thank God. All right. Next question comes from Rasmus. Why is Jordan Dumay pretty much overlooked? I know going by stats isn't telling the whole story, but it does say something. Hmm. It does, doesn't it? So, Jordan Dumais is, you know, a really intriguing prospect. He's 5'8", 160-ish pounds, had 109 points for Halifax this year, 39 goals, tremendous playmaker, good motor, good, not great skating. That is definitely a factor is that, you know, he is not the best skater, um, you know, necessarily for what you're looking for. Um, you know, I think that when you're that size and you have those kind of numbers, you're going to get a lot of interest, but I just don't, think that you know again you you look at the numbers you respect the numbers um i just don't think that that is necessarily a good enough um indicator of kind of what what we should be looking at with him um i think you have to say okay circumstance and um you know league quality and different things that that he's in you know it, it it's it's tough to say but yeah i mean you have to respect the production um, is it possible that he he moves up way farther than we than the rest of us have him? Certainly, um, I just I haven't found a lot of believers at this point, and I think part of it has to do with the skating. Um, you know, play off the puck needs to be better sometimes. Um, you know, if he, I wish I had a better answer because it's always tough. You, you look at the points and you say, "Wow, you know." It, did a lot of those points come in a way that would work in the NHL? And if you watch enough video, I think with Dumay, it's it's not all the time. But if you gonna, you know, the likelihood of somebody proving us wrong with that stat package is pretty likely. I mean, you know, numbers do tell tell an important piece of the story, and Dumay uh, very well could be um, one of those guys that. The numbers didn't lie. Um, yeah. So I'll be fascinated to see where he goes, though. I I, I think he is a good player, and I, I think a team is going to be happy to have him. Um, they'll just be happier if they get him in the second or third, probably the third round. <laughs> That's where I think he'll probably end up going. 
All right, Michael asks, the Sabres went Russian heavy in the last draft and have usually stayed away. Uh, do you think they're a team to go after Yurov and Miro, Murashashenko in the first? I would say that it's certainly possible because of the fact that they have that 16th pick um, from Vegas and then they'll have their own pick already. Um, they're well positioned to take one of those swings. And I would certainly love it if it's Marashnashenko because I think he has the chance, you know, if he was healthy, if he played the whole year, I I have a, a hard time seeing that he wouldn't be much higher on my list. He would have made the World Junior team. like, But unfortunately, the illness is what it is and you have to respect that. If you're patient enough to deal with it, then, then great. Um, but the other thing that I will say about the Sabres is that at 9 and 16, you have a chance to add impact prospects. Do you want to take that big of a risk at, 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 with either one of those? Um, you can bolster certain elements of your, of your team. You're building a very strong prospect system. You've got guys like Peyton Krebs and now you know Dylan Cousins who are young players that are, you know, are able to make a, a pretty significant impact. You've got the defensemen and Darlene and Power. Um, you've got the guys coming up in Paterka and, and, and Quinn. You've got the goalies of the future in Uka Pekalukanen and, and Devin Levi. And you even have Eric Portillo as a potential asset as well. Um, there's just so many things that the, the Sabres can do. And with having three first-round picks, they're as well-positioned as anybody to take one of those chances. And it wouldn't shock me to see, you know, whether it's Marashashenko or Yurov, if they're still there at 16. And I think both potentially could be. Um, would not shock me to see them go there. I just don't think we'll see them go, say, with that ninth pick. Huey asks, how much are offensive fast defensemen going to go for now? Uh, a lot. I mean, you know, I think that this draft is is just dripping with offensive-minded defensemen. Um, all the guys in there, there's so many guys with high point totals, Korchinski and, and Matejchuk and Mintukov and Hudson and... Um, uh, Nemec and Juracek and all, you know, they, they, all these guys can play the game offensively quite well. Um, teams are always looking and they have been looking. If you don't produce, it is really hard to get drafted as a defenseman. If you don't have a decent enough production, if you don't move pucks at a high enough level, if you aren't aiding the transition, if you're not moving pucks out of your zone quickly, you're not getting drafted. Um, and so I think that you will see a lot of teams really focus in on that on getting more players like that. And this is a good draft to do that in. Uh, we've got a lot of those guys in this year's draft. Sticking with the theme of defensemen, Ben asks, why are so many rating, I believe he's talking about Owen Pickering here, uh, who has already shown he's adjusted to his growth below Bischel, Leon Bischel, um, uh, who seems like he still needs to and is less certainly a top four and seems to be rising solely because of size and physicality. Obviously, both are long but seems like on every skill, talent, dimension, except physicality and meanness, the nod goes to Owen Pickering. How could you compare Pickering with someone like Keandre Miller? Seems KM has evolved into a top four first left defenseman at, that Owen Pickering is projected to be. It's interesting that you you called out Keandre Miller because um, uh, Corey Priman had put, you know, he thought Miller was comparable to Bischel. I still ha I personally haven't seen that, um, and I, I think Pickering probably is a little bit closer. Pickering is one of that, you know, that's incredibly athletic, good skater, just has all these different elements. There is a physical nature. He has some physical dominance to him, um, but I would say Bichelle is certainly more of a 
physically dominant, imposing player with a tremendous mobility. Um, I would agree that I think Owen Pickering has better offensive upside. Um, and that's a reason that, you know, he's pretty high on a lot of, a lot of lists. Um, you know, for me, they're back to back, uh, at Bischel 27th, Pickering 28th. I think you could go either way on that. I think it's a coin flip between those two. Um, you know, Bischel is definitely the more physical, more developed player, as you mentioned, Whereas Pickering, I think, really, he's got great skating ability. He's still, you know, he, he makes the plays. I don't think either of them are going to be huge point producers. Um, you know, I think that they're the, the, the biggest separating factor is Bischel played those big minutes against men. And I think Pickering, you know, showed that there's a lot of work to do. Um, I think there's a little bit less risk in Bischel because of, and I'm sorry that I keep going, like, I keep saying, like, Bischel, Bischel, Bischel. Um, it's kind of like, a, you know, uh, uh, I'm sorry that I keep doing that, but I, I, I haven't fully decided. Um, I, I need to talk to him to ask him exactly how we uh, pronounce that. But, um, but anyway, uh, you know, I think that they're very close and, and it really could go either way. Um, you know, I think Pickering actually has a better chance to go ahead of Michelle in this draft. Like I think he, he, because of that offensive upside, because of how he played, you know, I think a lot of teams liked how he played, at the world under 18s in a tough situation where he was kind of all they had on the blue line. Um, so that'll be interesting. I'll be very, I'll be very interested to see kind of where, which, which of those guys go. Um, I think Miller is a fair comparison um, for Pickering uh, for sure. Um, and you watch what Keandre did. And I was a huge Keandre fan in his draft season, had him, you know, as a top 20 pick. And, you know, of course he went there and, uh, I just, uh, I just think that, you know, when you have a guy with size and, and athleticism and that that can just absolutely, you know, has that range, um, you got to take a long look at it. There just happens to be a few of those guys this year. Uh, Joey asked late first round gems. You know, I think I'd talk Lane Hudson. I think would be a great late first rounder. I think Ryan Chesley is going to be uh, drafted lower than a lot of other defensemen in this draft, and very well could be a guy that jumps up and 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 has a great uh, a great start to um, his career and 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 makes a lot of good plays and and is a guy that you have to have a lot of respect for. Um, I'm excited to kind of see you know where those guys go. Uh, I think Sam Rinzel as well is 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 a pr- long term project. He's a guy, you know, he's a six foot, f- close to six foot four, right shot defenseman with great skating ability. Um, is the hockey sense going to be there? Is he going to be able to compete at the against junior players, against college players? Um, you know, there are a lot of scouts that wanted to see him play in the USHL all season this year just because they they didn't feel like he had it at the. At the you know, wasn't as good at the high school level, um, you know, or as good as they want him to be, but there's just so much respect for the upside there in the ceiling. Um, really good. I think Philip Mayshar is a guy that's going to go late. He's a smaller forward Jagger Furcus. I have him high in the first round. I have him, you know, top half of the first round or basically at the halfway point of the first round. But I, I think, you know, the way that I I've been reading the tea leaves a little bit, I think he's going to go lower than I have him. Um, those are a bunch of names to kind of keep an eye out for later in that first round. So this sticking with the the continued late first round, Brett asks who should Edmonton take at 29? Well, I have Renzel at 29. 
Um, but I think they might want to get somebody that's maybe doesn't have as long of an NHL timeline. Um, I, you know, I could definitely see them going defense in this one just because of the range that they're in. I think, you know, there's the, there's the, the off chance that one of Bischel or, or, or uh, Pickering will be there. Um, Rinzel, who I mentioned, uh, and, you know, Chesley, if he's there, you know, those are guys, but you know, there's also a chance to get a little more dynamic. You know, they, they got, uh, Xavier Borgo last year. Um, you know, maybe they want to go with, uh, will Liam Ogren still be around? Probably not at this point. I think that he's trended up significantly enough where he's, he's not going to be there. Um, Luca Del Belbelus could be an option. Really like his skill set. I don't know if the skating necessarily makes him a fit. Maybe Mayshar is another guy that you could kind of put in there where he's got a little bit more foot speed, but he's not very big. Um, you know, that's that's another guy you could kind of look at in that range. Um, other guys like Owen Beck, maybe a little more safe pick. Uh, uh, Nathan Gaucher, is he still going to be around there, um, you know, to get a little bit of size, a little grit, you know, good kind of, middle six center bottom six center that you know he could be um those are all guys that i could definitely see you know being around at, at that 29 spot steven asks who is this the leading candidate to be this year's tyler boucher player picked way earlier than in rankings on public boards that is a good question um you know i i would say that probably um in terms of higher than on public boards um, boy, um, probably, uh, you know, Liam Ogren, I think could be a guy that goes a bit higher than anybody really expects him to. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, but, um, he had such a great under 18 worlds and, you know, he, he averaged a goal per game at, at the, at the junior level this year in, in Sweden. Um, high character guy. I think a lot of people really like the way that he, he performed throughout the year. So that could be a guy that you could see as a potential surprise, um, you know, I think a lot of people might say Cutter Goche just for how late of a riser he was this year, but I think that that's pretty well known. It's not going to be a real surprise anymore. Um, Connor Geeky, uh, I don't think that NHL teams are as concerned about the foot speed as I am, um, but you know that's certainly a guy that, with his size, his hockey sense, you know, teams might reach for that, um, and it may not be that big of a reach when you're you know betting on on hockey sense. All right, we got an Anaheim Ducks question here from Robert. Anaheim has four of the top 53 picks. In this situation, do you support using this currency to move up to get the players you want if you can or staying pat and using all opportunities for hits? I'm of the belief largely, not all the time, but largely that you you know, you know hold on to the picks and unless there's a pretty significant um, opportunity to, to land a player that you really like. So... They've got picks 10 and 22, 42 and 53. Um, so that is the range. Those picks are still in a range where you are going to have a chance to land some really good players. Um, could you potentially package your two first rounder or two second rounders to move up? Absolutely. If there's a guy there that you have to have, certainly could be a, be a case. But I think that where the Ducks are in this stage, their rebuild, and the fact that there is going to be some more short-term pain before the game, I think you want to have as many darts as you can. You want to have as many opportunities. So I personally would stay pat. Um, and at you know 53, there's a chance that there's a guy in your top 32 on your internal board 
that's still there at 53. In fact, it's almost likely the way that this draft is going. So I would make all four picks unless there is absolutely the guy that they're desperate to get that they can package up uh, to move up. Day two guys to watch for. There are dozens. Uh, this comes from Gary, and, and Gary, thanks for the question. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about those guys that, that kind of are, are the later guys, but from my board, um, you know, just in terms of some of the day two guys that I think could be pretty solid, um, you know, I still have some belief in Rieger Lawrence. Uh, you know, he, he played for the Okotoks in the AJHL was the top scorer in that league. He's got good size. You know, the skating needs to improve, but he's got a long runway. He's heading to the University of Denver next year. Um, I always like having those guys that, you know, I, I you know you have their rights for a little while longer and you can kind of figure out what they're going to be. You don't get forced into making the pick. So, you know, I think on d- day two, especially the later you go, the more you might focus on guys that are on that college or European path. Um, another guy that I like quite a bit, Topi Rani. Uh, I've talked about him before. I think he just plays an NHL style. He's going to find a way to fit a role. Um, you know, he'll probably go later than I have him. I have him at 41, but I think he'll probably go later. Um, just got a bit of a hard-nosed attitude. Uh, Gleb Trikazov, very he's, he's, he's the darling of the internet. I know a lot of the public sites really like Trikazov as a first-rounder. Um, outstanding in the MHL, but, you know, I just think that there's, there's enough uh, – you know, I, I don't read a ton into the numbers in the MHL um, unless they're way off the charts and his his aren't. Um, you know, like they're good. They're very good, though. He had averaged a point, almost 1.3 points per game this season. Um, so I think he's a guy where you say, OK, well, that's a long waiting game, um, but he could be good. Uh, one of the defensemen that I'm kind of looking at for an offensive style, I really like the skill level of him. I have him a bit higher than I think anybody um, is Michael Buckinger from the Guelph Storm. I think that the, there's a real skill level there. He's got some defensive skills that he's going to need to add to his package of, of tools. But um, that's a guy where I, I'd say, you know, hey, um, that could be a good one. And, and actually, um, you know, he's one of those guys where we got a question coming up about Olin Zellweger. And I don't think he's as good as Olin Zellweger because – Zellweger really had a great season and, and has far outpaced his his draft stock as a second rounder last year. Uh, but I just think Buckinger is one of those guys there's that there's enough upside there for me to believe that he is going to be um, a better, you know, a better player um, than a lot of people expect. Uh, I think that his numbers didn't necessarily reflect the skill this year. And as he grows, I think his numbers are really going to get pretty impressive over time. All right, Daniel asks, who's a player that slips out of the first the teams will snap up quickly in the second round, i.e. Olin Zellweger last year or J.J. Paterka in 2021? Um, One of the guys that I think will probably slip out of that first round um, that will be worth snapping up early is Lane Hudson. Um, I'll continue to say Lane Hudson. I think if he goes late, uh, you're going to get a really good player. Um, some of the other guys that are kind of in that range that could jump up and, and give you like that first round, you know, I'm not super high on him, but David Goyette has that speed skill combo that you'd say, oh, maybe he'll pop up and be a, a thing. Um, Reed Schaefer is another guy who, if he slips out of the first round and is a second round draft pick, I think teams are going to be super excited to get him in the early second round. And Owen Beck is another one where he's just kind of on the on that cusp. 
Um, so, the, I, you know, it's hard to say who's going to fall out, but I think, you know, a number of those guys could. Um, and then Jagger Furcus is a guy that I have in the top half of my, my draft board, um, uh, first round of my draft board. And I think that, you know, the way things are going, there are, there are teams that aren't necessarily as big of believers um, as I am. Uh, next one comes from my buddy Jordan via text. Uh, so these are, these are to be sure that I'll see these questions. Outside of your projected first-round talent, which USHL player has the potential to be a diamond-in-the-rough game-changer? I'll hang up and listen. Well, thank you for the question, Jordan. Um, in terms of game-changers, it's harder to, f- to find that. Like, I think Cam Lund from Green Bay... He's got to get a little bit more edge to him. He's got to get more consistent in his competitiveness. He needs to increase his work ethic. But he has the skill and the speed and all the tools to be a really good player. He's just got to find a way to come up with it. Um, and so that's a guy that I, I've got a, a close eye on as being you know, a player that can take things to another level. Um, another guy in that mix is uh, that I think could be a real diamond in the rough who wasn't even listed (laughs) by central scouting is Kenny Connors, who was the number one center for uh, the Dubuque fighting saints this year. I have a lot of time for him. I think that he's got all of the tools to be an NHL player. Um, You know, he's got time to develop. He's heading to college. Um, He is, not flashy, not um, you know, not somebody that's going to get you out of your seat. But he was such an important part of that Dubuque roster that I think that he is one of those guys that could really take that next step and just continue on in his development. And maybe he'll be a role player down the line, but a guy that you know you can win with. Um, and and so I've I've liked him as a late round guy. Um, you know, I've listed him on my top one hundred. Um, I'm not sure that that's necessarily a widely held belief, but that's a guy that I think, you know, I got a lot of time for. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's, those, those are a couple of my guys. I think Ryan Green, who I mentioned as well, really liked him. Um, and then Dylan James from uh, Sioux City, who was part of a championship team this year. Um, you know, I like guys that win. You know, I certainly do. It's, it's, he was a big part of that championship team. Helped uh, Sioux City win that Clark Cup championship. And he's headed to the University of North Dakota where, you know, I think he's going to fit in very well. Um, you know, there's he's not a super flashy player, doesn't do a lot of exciting things. But, you know, he's he's won and that's, uh, that's uh, pretty interesting. All right, next one comes from Sebastian. Prediction on Julian Lutz. Uh, so the German power forward, power winger, good scorer, you know, didn't have a ton of ice time this year. Had a decent under-18 Worlds. I, I think there's a real strong chance that Lutz is um, a mid-second-round pick. I think that he has so much upside. He looks the part. You know, I think the skating is good. I think that his his skill level is good. Um, I'd like to see him in an environment where his skill is allowed to thrive a little bit more. Maybe that's next year in the DEL with a year of experience. Um, you know, that would be interesting to watch. But... Um, you know, he's got the size, he's got the strength, the skating is there. He just needs to be in a place where he can get some confidence offensively and get some consistency because he didn't necessarily have the ice time to do it this year. Um, but I really like the player. And and I think that the team that gets him is going to have a, have a real project on their hands, but a good kind of project where he's got the upside. 
All right, Spoonie asks, is there any goaltender that might go in the second round, and are there any goaltenders that might have a relatively high ceiling based on where they are expected to go? Thanks. Well, I think there's really only one goalie that's going to probably go within the top 64 picks, um, and that's uh, Tyler Brennan from Prince George. He's been the number one ranked North American goalie all year. He's pretty much been the number one ranked goalie on a lot of boards this year. Um, He's got the tools, uh, doesn't necessarily have the track record yet, um, but, you know, he's got the size, the athleticism, the quickness, all those different things that you want to see um, and, and you know, get him some continued development and work with goalie coaches. And you've got a player that could potentially go in the second round. Aside from him, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by some of the undersized goalies, but I wouldn't say they have the upside or the high ceiling because of the size factor. Um, Topias Leinen is a as an absolute project as well, top ranked European goalie. Um, you know, if he goes fourth, fifth round, third, fourth, fifth round, somewhere in there, it's pretty good value um, for a guy that's got some some goaltending uh, opportunities. So uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Casey asks, you wrote for DFO about team needs. You mentioned New York Rangers needing depth at all positions. Do you think? They should try and get back into the first round to get a higher upside player or accumulate a few mid-round talents like Gavin Hayes or David Goyette. Um, So the Rangers' first pick is 63rd overall. Um, I'm not sure what they would have to get into the first round without trading like, like I don't think some of the guys like say Vitaly Kravtsov, who's under contract again for the Rangers, I don't think he'd fetch you a first round draft pick at this point. Um, So, you know, like I don't know how they would get back in there. Um, and I think that they should probably just focus on the picks that they do have. You know, Gavin Hayes is a guy that you mentioned. I think he'll be there. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that I like, don't love, you know, in terms of I saw flashes of real high-end potential. of And, and sometimes all you need is flashes. Um, you know, I think that I'm, I'm, I have some concerns about hockey sense and things like that. But, you know, where the Rangers are picking, they, it was – the only thing I really wanted to say is that, you know, they've got a good system. They don't necessarily need to go crazy here. Just add the best player that you can at the range that you're at. I don't think it's worth bending over backwards to try to get into the first round. Um, you're probably still going to get a decent enough player in 63rd. Um, not a first round caliber talent, obviously, but you're going to get a decent enough player, um, you know, that'll that'll bolster your, your prospect system. Mike asks, who are some options for the Bruins at pick 54? Hoping for a center, I could see them leveraging Jake DeBrusque and or Riley, Mike Riley on the trade market to acquire more capital uh, in the first three rounds. Interesting uh, interesting spot to be in. It is an interesting spot to be in. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I think as far as the Bruins are concerned, you know, there are plenty of options. I think Adam Ingram from Youngstown in the USHL, they've, they've drafted quite a few guys out of the USHL, guys that are on the college track. Um, I think Ingram will be a guy that, you know, could be there in that range. And oddly enough, he's that at that number on Bob McKenzie's list. I was just looking at it right now. But that was one of the names that came to mind. I mean, you think you could definitely even go try to take a chance on upside and say maybe it's Trikazov or Ryan Green, who I've mentioned at Green Bay. Of course, uh, you know, they drafted Mason Lorai out of uh, Green Bay a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, he had great success there. Ryan Green, same, you know, same system there. Um, real interesting guy. He's headed to BU as well, so you can keep close tabs on him. Um, so he makes sense there. Bryce McConnell Barker from Sault Ste. Marie. 
um the sioux greyhounds um same thing you know so if we're talking centers like those are the types of names that would be there um as far as the bruins are concerned you just got to get picks uh, get prospects they don't have a ton in their system not a lot of excitement they do have fabian Liesel, who's i'm excited to see where he goes from here after his first year in the whl uh but yeah i mean you know it's just it's tough it's tough to say at that 54 you know, all these late round picks it's a lot of guesswork and and i don't think it's ever been it's never easy to predict it's even harder to predict now so that's just where we're at matt asks how do you view the norwegian prospect martin johnson uh and is it just me or does it seem like more non-traditional countries are producing uh, d1 and nhl draft potential guys uh than ever before Matt, good observation. You know, I think it's a, it's pretty close. I mean, you look at Austria getting Marco Rossi, Marco Casper, um, you know, a number of guys that you know, uh, that that are in that mix. Uh, Vincenz Rohrer, who will be picked this year. Um, you know, that's that's pretty interesting. Norway, you get a few guys like you know, you mentioned like uh, Matthias uh, uh, Emilio Pedersen. Um, he's another guy. You know, went the D one route, went to uh, the NHL. Um, as far as Johnson goes, or Janssen. Um, had a great season um, where, you know, I think he really outperformed expectations. Um, I don't know necessarily know that they were particularly high, um, but he got himself on the draft radar by his performance in Sweden. He plays for Faryastad. Um, he did get into 11 SHL games this year. Absolutely dominated the Division 1A uh, under-18 tournament, 14 points in five games there. Um, had four points in five games in the the World Junior U20 uh, or Division One A uh, event as well. Um, you know, I think he'll be a late pick if he's picked. Um, he's average size, decent enough offense. Not you know super super. Um, y- y- there aren't a ton of like notable like absolutely NHL traits there. I do think he has a chance to be drafted. Um, but you know, to get back to your other point. You know, I think that we're just hockey is growing more and more. Development is getting better. Players are finding places to play. You know, Janssen goes from Norway to Sweden. We've seen obviously Slovakian players like Slavkovsky go to Finland. Um, you know, we've seen others go to Sweden. So there are opportunities for these players to continue to flourish, and that's the best thing about it is that there are places for them to go. Um, and absolutely, I think Germany is another one where they are just exploding with all of these new players. Um, so it should be, uh, should be interesting to, uh, to see kind of what happens next, um, from, from that group. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's what we got. That's what we got on that one. Um, all right. Next one comes from Mike who actually asked the question earlier and I didn't get uh, back to his second one. Uh, which re-entry players do you think stand the best chance to be picked? Which late round college bound players do you have circled? on your board as potential steals or impact players once they turn pro. Um, I've said this a few times, but I'll, I'll repeat again. I mean, I, I already mentioned Kenny Connors. I think he's going to be a late pick that has a chance to be a, a, a good pro down the road and will be a really good college player. Connor Kurth, his teammate with uh, with um, uh, Dubuque, is another guy that I think got passed over last year. I really liked him this season. I think that he's got a good motor. He's got good uh, offensive instincts. He's got a great shot. You know, I think he'll be a dominant college player. Um, these are guys that I think if you don't pick them now, you're just going to be signing them later as college free agents. Might as well get him and beat the rush. Um, that's that's my take on those guys. Uh, other guys, Dominic James from from Minnesota Duluth. I've talked him up quite a bit. I think that he's worth a draft pick um, as a re-entry guy. 
Um, I think, uh, you know, some teams will be looking at David Guchardi from uh, uh, Michigan State. There's there's a lot to like about him. Um, offensively, you know, he's, he had some decent numbers this year. He, he runs a little hot. He's got a bit of a mean streak to him, too. Um, so those are some guys that, you know, you kind of look at as, as re-entries um, that, that have a chance to be picked. Um, the one guy that I think a lot of people that have followed the USHL for long enough will be watching as well, and I'm not 100% sure he will be picked, um, is, uh, and I'll save this for another question. I go into it a little bit more in another question that comes up later, but that's Stephen Halliday, who was the all-time leading scorer for the Dubuque Fighting Saints, had a tremendous year in the USHL this season. Um, but you know, he, he's got the size, he's got the skill, but the skating is a real problem, uh, for a lot of teams and it's prevented him from being drafted before. Um, I'm not necessarily sure he'll be drafted again, but that's another guy as a, as a multi-year re-entry. Um, and then there's also others, um, Lucas Edmonds, Logan Morrison. We're talking, I'm talking about CHL guys now, uh, Mike Milne. Um, you know, those are guys that, that I think will really have a chance to go, um, in the draft because of how well they played in their CHL seasons. Um, and you know, there is having more evidence on those guys helps and it makes you a more informed decision, but there are still a lot of those issues that were, were, were reasons that teams didn't like them before are still there. Um, whether it was skating or maybe this deficiency here or there still kind of there, um, Keeping in with the reentry questions, this one comes from Kay. What reentry defenseman do you like? One that I've got an eye on is David Spachak, who had 50 points in 57 games with Sherbrooke. He's you know an average sized defenseman out of Slovakia. Um, you know he is. Uh, I've I've seen him I've seen him play live a few times. I've seen you know he's always one of those guys where I'm like ah, you know I think he could be a thing. You know like I think I think he'd have a chance. Um, I like the skill set that he has. Um, you know he. He's got a chance. He's at least got a chance. Um, is it is it likely? No, not necessarily. But that's that. I, I could see it. I could see it. Um, this next one is also about a a a reentry. And it's is this is Jimmy Suomi going to get drafted this year? Good question from TLO Mitch. Um, I wish I could tell you. I don't know. Um, I I would think not. Honestly, um, I don't think that he has the size profile or the skill being good enough to make teams believe. Uh, but, you know, Jimmy Finland is a guy that uh, certainly, um, you know, made a good impact in North America, made a good case for himself. I just don't think it's going to happen for him. Um, but he's a guy to keep an eye on. You know, you never know. He's, he's got some slipperiness to him. He's got some skating ability. Um, so, you know, I just I don't think that there's enough detail in his game uh, for him to be picked. Sebastian asks, who are two or three overagers that probably won't get drafted, but whose styles of play you've fallen in love with? I wouldn't necessarily say that I've fallen in love with, but I really do think that Stephen Halliday is going to be a really good college player. He's headed to Ohio State next year. He's basically been in the USHL for the last 100 years, it feels like. Um, you know, he, he he's highly productive, good shot puts himself in the right place but you know the skating is is just that thing where i don't know you know i don't know if it's going to work out work out for him that way um he's interesting he's interesting for sure um but yeah it's it's tough to say so i'd say he's an overager to, to kind of look at you know i think lucas edmonds will get drafted um but you know yeah they're they're 
he he is one guy where you know, I watched him this year with Kinks and I was just like, oh, I, you know, he's he's got great offensive instincts. He's he's had a decent enough track record outside of um, the OHL playing in Sweden. Um, so he's another guy where it's like, you know, is it enough? Maybe, um, uh, probably, but it's not a, a guarantee that he'll be picked. So those would be a couple guys I'd say. Next one comes from Frequent Questioner Bill Armstrong's Burner. Not actually Bill Armstrong's burner. Who's going to have the best draft and why is it the Coyotes? Who's trading for Shikrin and what's it going to be? I know, but I want your opinion. Well, thank you, Bill, for the question. Um, And again, for legal reasons, I have to stress that I do not believe that is Bill Armstrong's actual burner. And I say that every time we've gotten a question from him, but I just don't want to get shut out uh, by the Coyotes in in that regard. So anyway... The Coyotes have a chance to have a transformational draft, um, quite frankly. And, you know, that is the thing where they've invested so much into their scouting. They've grown their scouting staff. They have leaders like Ryan Jankowski and Daryl Plandowski who have both come from, you know, deep scouting backgrounds. Daryl was with the, uh, with, with the Lightning and had a huge hand in some of their biggest draft picks. Ryan has been with Hockey Canada. He's been with the Islanders. He's been with the Sabres. Um, you know, they've they've led before. They've got three first round draft picks, including the number two or number three overall. Sorry, um, they have twenty seven. They have thirty two, and then in the second round, thirty four, thirty six, forty three, forty five. Seven of the first forty five picks in this draft belong to the Arizona Coyotes. And you think about the the years that they've had, you know, they, they, they couldn't pick in the first round last year. Um, you know, they they they've traded picks away in the past. They've they've they had to relinquish draft picks for, for punishment purposes. And now they've finally got the capital to do this. Um so they have a chance to have the best draft. Um they could move picks up, they could move down, they could do all sorts of different things. They have a chance to walk out of this draft with a big enough haul to really transform their prospect system. And they, they need more bodies. They need more guys. They, you know, Dylan, Dylan Gunther is, is a top prospect um, and had a tremendous year. Unfortunately got hurt at the end of the season, misses the Memorial cup. Edmonton gets bounced out of the Memorial cup. Very unfortunate overall, but Dylan Gunther is going to be a great player. Um, you draft those players and then you focus on developing them. And I think that the the Coyotes have a plan in place. I think they're doing what they can. Um, you know, maybe they'll pick very high again next year. Um, but yeah, and the biggest thing is get guys that want to be part of your franchise. Get guys that you think will have the high character that will be uh, difference makers. I would not be shocked if there is some shakeup in the top three and if Arizona goes a little off the board based on expectations. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility. They could be the disruptors of this draft. Um, and just as a quick side note, Cutter Goche uh, spent a lot of his childhood in Arizona. He was born in Sweden, but he's an Arizona kid. Something to keep in the back of your mind. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that could be a good one. And then as far as the Shikran trade goes, like I mean, I, I know there's been plenty of um, you know rumors out there, Florida. Um, there's been L.A. You know, I I think you just got to make sure that whatever you do, if you do trade Jacob Shikran, you get the best possible package. And like 
it's got to be big. Um, I know that he hasn't necessarily he's he's been a little up and down, but you want to make sure that whatever it is, it, it's a big it's it's a big return um, because you can even further bolster this rebuilding effort, um, which this year I think is going to be just absolutely critical for Arizona, um, and they have to get it right. Next one comes from Big Tortilla. Do you see a lot of gamesmanship between the GMs? And would you say there is more gamesmanship in the NHL than the NFL? Oh, and do you have a fun story that you could tell us that you saw? Um, There's not a ton of gamesmanship. Like, I mean, there is. Um, there's a lot of, you know, kind of misdirection. There's a lot of smoke. They use the media a lot to put that smoke out there. That's just why around this time of year, I might ask a few questions, but I believe about half of what I hear. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, I think that there's probably because the NFL is so position based where you're often, often drafting for need, especially in the first couple of rounds. I don't necessarily know that there's a ton of gamesmanship, but you know, one of the things that will happen um, in the draft is, you know, scouts will catch wind of, I heard this, you know, Colorado really likes this guy or really likes that, you know, just using, so like a few years ago, I'd, I'd heard pretty early on that Colorado was big on Bowen Byram. Um, they were going to draft him very high. Um, and sure enough, they did. Um, but, you know, so when teams get wind of things like that, it might shift their thinking. Um, I've heard instances, uh, one story um, that I hope I'm getting right is I, and I can't, I don't want to reveal um, the team uh, or the player, um, but basically I, I've heard of teams that said right before they were about to make a pick, they had learned that um, another team was going to take the take this one player, um, and I think there was basically there was a trade on the table um, that you know they wanted to trade down because they thought they could get this guy later. Somehow through basically like a friend of a friend situation, they find out that the team that's going to be selecting right after them has eyes on this particular player. And so instead of trading down, they 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 make the pick. Um, it was an okay pick. It wasn't it didn't end up being a great pick. It was a guy that played NHL games and is still playing NHL games. Um, but either way, I mean, it's not really a funny story, but it's more just that's the kind of thing that happens on the draft floor. Um, friend of a friend finds out a thing, somehow you catch wind of it. Maybe we need to move in a different direction. How how realistic is it? Is it one hundred percent? You know, we'll make this call or that call. Um, there's just a lot of movement, and I think this year we're going to see it even more because there's a lot of uncertainty about who those players are going to be. Uh, Russian Machine Never Breaks asks, why do the Capitals draft so many WHL defensemen? Well, I looked it up, and they actually sent the draft history, and the Caps have drafted 10 WHL defensemen since 2012. That's a lot. 10 WHL defensemen since 2012. Uh, including last year, Vincent Iorio was their second-round draft pick. Um, he was defenseman from the WHL. Um, a few years before that, um, they got Alexander Alexiev uh, in 2018. Of course, they ended up drafting Martin Farivari in the next round, and he's been outstanding. 
Alexiev has only played one NHL game. Thing is, so most of these picks have not worked out. Um, most of the guys that, that we're talking about, the WHL defenseman, Lucas Johansson, not an NHL player, did get one NHL game. Um, you know, the they had Connor Hobbs and Colby Williams in 2015. Neither played NH, NHL games. Um, Madison Bowie and uh, Bowie and um, uh, from Kelowna in 2013 did play games. Ended up being traded. You know, didn't play a ton for Washington um, and still really hasn't found his footing as a full time NHLer. Um, Jans- uh, Jansen. Wrestling in 2012 from Calgary, like some of these, not all these are first rounders. You know, there's guys that are, you know, your late round picks are not always going to pan out. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, the, the, the caps have had a fixation on, uh, those WHL defensemen and continue to go to that. Well, despite it being kind of a, a well that hasn't really panned out too well. Um, that, that was a weird phrase. Uh, but I can't really tell you why. I mean, I'm sure that there's, you know, basically, you know, you're leaning on your scouts and your area scouts. And if, uh, you know, that you're convinced enough that, that, that those guys are going to be the guys, then, you know, you, you go after it. And, um, you know, sometimes you do, you know, you do hit. Um, but a lot of times in recent years, uh, when they've taken WHL defensemen outside of, well, here's, I suppose this is probably part of where it started. Um, so Carl Alsner, of course, drafted in uh, in 2007. Um, you know, obviously played a long time, was a really good player for the Capitals for many years. Um, maybe that's where it started, where the fixation started, and they just kept going back to that well. Um, you know, Jeff Schultz is another one who was a WHL defenseman who played games for them. And then, of course, Mike Green. So, you know, that was... You know, historically, obviously, they've gone there. They've gone there a little bit less. Um, uh, I wish I could tell you why, but, you know, Mike Green obviously worked out really well for them. Uh, so always impressive uh, to see kind of those preferences uh, poke out. All right, we are almost done, if you can believe it. We're two hours into this podcast. We are almost done. We've only got a couple of questions left. This one made me laugh. Jeremy asks, would you rather fight one Maverick Lamoureux-sized duck or 10 Lane Hudson-sized geese? Well, one Maverick Lamoureux-sized duck would be about a six foot seven duck. That's pretty terrifying. However, 10 five foot eight geese seems like a bigger problem to me. Um, so Maverick Lamoureux, big defenseman, physical guy, really like the player. I think the upside is there. Not sure about the hockey sense. Lane Hudson, one of the most competitive guys, obviously the smallest defenseman, more dynamic. And the thing about him is he's got a competitive drive. And if I know one thing, those geese would be biting the heck out of me. And if they're a five foot eight goose, that's going to hurt. Uh, so I would say I will take the one Maverick Lamoureux sized duck and I will run as fast as I can in the opposite direction. Uh, and that is how I would fight that duck. I think I could outrun it. Um, the 10 lane Hudson size geese terrify me and in a way that I really can't adequately explain. Uh, next question comes from Tristan. What do you know about Scott Young previously with Pittsburgh, now with Vancouver and his track record with respect track record with respect to college free agents since the Canucks struck out this year, do you think his addition along with Frank golden will go a long way in bolstering the depth of Vancouver's pipeline? Um, 
well, you know, Pittsburgh has always been very, very aggressive on the college free agent front. You know, Zach Aston Reese um, is a notable one. Um, you know, Drew O'Connor, who played games for them this year, is another notable one. Um, they've always, you know, been really solid in in, in scouting out this, the colleges. Also, you know, they did acquire John Marino in a draft or in a trade. Um, you know, so that's, you know, not necessarily the same thing, but it's identifying a player um, in the college ranks. So, you know, Scott Young um, was was heavily involved in the um, the Olympic process this year with Team USA. Um, he, uh, you know, he's, he's got experience dealing with a lot of players for a lot of, you know, and, and has been heavily involved in player development. It only helps, you know, having a guy that's familiar with the, with the landscape and he certainly knows it, um, having a guy that, you know, can, can, can do that for you goes a long way. And, you know, the Canucks have, have definitely invested in that element because it is, you know, college free agency and, and undrafted free agency is a great way to bolster a prospect system, especially when you don't have the bodies. Um, and so that's definitely um, a, a guy worth uh, worth adding because, and, and you, you know, obviously too, with Jim Rutherford's familiarity um, with, with somebody like that, it only helps. Um, and I, you don't, I don't mind a general manager building a team with people that he trusts so long as, you know, they're, they, they're trusted for the right reasons and they have the right skill set. So uh, I think Vancouver has been incredibly aggressive in adding to their hockey operations staff, and it's it's becoming more robust. Um, and I think I'm I'm I'll be I'm fascinated to see kind of how it all works out because they they definitely have really bolstered their their hockey ops, um, and they've made some changes internally too. You know, at you know, making moves with 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 uh, with amateur scouts as well, and and trying to to, to find some different things. So um, a lot of moves happening there with Vancouver. Last question. It's not a draft question. It's about the World Juniors, which is coming up a little bit later. A lot of the players that will be selected in the draft will be going to the World Juniors. So the rosters for the August World Juniors, Team USA, Hockey Canada, they've got their camp set. Um, you know, they've got them. USA is doing this monster Franken camp where they've got the 2022 team for the summer and the 2023 team playing. I don't know how I would possibly begin to keep track of all that um one note drew camesso uh not going to the world juniors would have been team usa starter for the summer world juniors um based on sources that i've talked to the feeling is that he has opted out um and is choosing not to go he will not be the only one uh for any you know there are going to be a number of teams that say that sweden has named a preliminary roster Finland is is working on theirs. I can tell you right now, there is not a ton of appetite. There's not a lot of excitement among the governing bodies. That they're glad to play in the World Juniors, but there is not a lot of excitement about this summer event. It's not the same. Um, it feels a little bit cheapened. Um, players that are drafted, like Shane Wright, almost certainly won't be. I, I don't know how the NHL team that drafts him is okay with him going to that. We know that USA won't have Matty Beniers or Jake Sanderson. Um, you know, Canada is probably not going to have Cole Perfetti. They're probably not going to have Owen Power. 
Um, so this event is not going to be the same as what they tried to do in December. It is the way it is. I mean, that's just how it goes. Uh, this is not a, you know, it's not going to be the world juniors that we were expecting to get in December. That was so exciting. Um, you know, is Slovakia going to have Uri Slavkovsky and Simon Nemec? Is Czech Republic going to have David Juracek? I don't know. Um, and so we won't know for a while, but that is rapidly approaching. Um, we are about five or six weeks away from the first puck drop of that tournament. So buckle up. Uh, it's going to be weird. And uh, for the U.S., it might actually be a little bit tough because if Drew Camesso is not playing, that goaltending pipeline is not great. So lot to think about here uh, as we get ready for that. I am hoping to cover at least part of that tournament live. Um, I'm not 100% sure if I'll be there yet. Um, some things need to be worked out. I hope I will be uh, just because I think it would be unique to cover the summer event. But uh, excitement is not exactly at an all-time high for it. Um, and... We'll have to talk a lot more about not just the World Juniors, but also what's going on with Hockey Canada um, and their 2018 World Junior team that is facing very significant allegations and were part of a lawsuit that Hockey Canada settled. And now a ton of sponsors have pulled out of the upcoming Summer World Juniors as a result of Hockey Canada's response or lack thereof. Um, so... Things are going to get a little bit awkward there, but we will talk about that um, after the draft. I'll be back. I'm not going to have a, at this point, I'm probably not going to have another pre-draft pod. We just went over two hours on this one. Um, so I will come back with a recap pod after the draft, possibly recorded that right, uh, right on Friday of next week um, as we... Uh, kind of look at the whole thing. I will have coverage uh, coming up. I will explain to you exactly how that's going to work soon. Stay tuned to my Twitter feed for that. Also, please, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, definitely leave me a five-star review if you could. Leave a written review uh, as well. That helps us move up the charts. We, you know, I think this podcast peaked. Um, you know, it was a top, top. 30 podcasts in hockey in the United States last week. Uh, you know, we'd love to see that continue. Could keep this growing and keep this uh, keep this alive. And the more that you guys rate and review it, the more it gets in front of more people uh, and moves up and the algorithms are all happy and, and moving us up there. So please do that. Now, it's over two hours after I started this podcast from, from when we started. If you are still with me, I'm going to need you to tweet me um, a, a, a code word which I do often uh, to find out who the biggest diehards of this podcast are. So the code word is uncle because I'm calling uncle right now. It's over. I got to, I got to get some sleep. It's late. I hope this comes out. Well, I hope it's not a rambling mess. I hope you had fun. So the code word is uncle. Send that to me on Twitter. I'll send you back uh, a celebratory gift or something. Um, I don't have prizes. I don't have money. I have a very particular set of skills uh, that don't really allow me to do anything of, of substance. So, uh, yeah, if you hung out this long, thanks a lot. We will see you very soon. Stay tuned for next week's podcast after 
the NHL draft, hopefully out that weekend where we will recap the first, second, and all the rounds. Talk about the picks that we liked, the picks that we didn't. I don't know why I keep saying we because it's just me, but you guys can tell me which picks you didn't like. That works out too. But thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for sticking with me. And thanks so much for all of your support throughout this entire draft season. It is an absolute grind to get there, but you guys make it all fun and exciting. Um, Thanks for keeping me going and being the fuel for me. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. We will catch you next week.